Hey, I'm Steve. And I'm Blake. And you're listening to Action, the movie podcast. Welcome, everybody, to episode six of the podcast. In case you, you know, just first time listener, what happens is between me and Steve, each, you know, each episode, we take turns giving each other a, a movie to watch, and we will not discuss the movie at all until the recording of the next episode. We won't talk, text, anything. So when we come and actually record the episode, everything's uh, fresh and off the top of our head and we're reacting to literally what the other one is saying right there. And then there is no prep time in between this. And today's episode uh, was my pick. Today's uh, movie was my pick and I chose the mayhem. What drew me to this movie was really basically Steven Yeun. I, I, I love Steven Yeun. Uh, from The Walking Dead, and I enjoyed the premise. Now, I've only seen a, a couple of movies that share the same premise, which I don't have an exact genre for. And I, I think it's office space horror or white collar horror. I don't know. It's something that I'm not too familiar with, but I, I like it. Uh, so uh, what drew you to the film, Steve? Uh, well, like, because you told me to watch it. The director of this film is a gentleman named Joe Lynch. And so this, he's directed a couple movies besides this one. Uh, one of his earlier ones being, uh, actually the, the Wrong Turn 2. He directed the Wrong Turn 2 second one, sequel, movie. Uh, he's done a couple other ones. One was called Knights of Badassdom, which was a movie that kind of lived in infamy almost because like I saw trailers for it, but then the movie just kind of vanished off the face of the earth for a couple of years. And then it finally came back and it was a it was a weird movie. But that was a good movie, too. Which one and, was that? Uh, the Knights of Badassdom. It stars uh, Peter Dinklage, Steve Zahn. Ryan Quanton from True Blood and Summer Glau. And it's a bunch of dudes that are out LARPing for real. And, you know, you know what LARPing is, right? LARPing? No, I don't. <laughs> it's a live action role playing. Oh, okay. Well, you like go out into the fields and you like you you throw like paper balls and you're like, this is my fireball. So it's just live action D&D basically out okay. in like fields and stuff. And so Knights of Badassdom is they're just a bunch of, you know, homies friends and they're out and about and uh steve zahn's characters is a uh a, a wizard and he has this book he stole from his uncle's house and it ends up being a real book and they summon a succubus out into a cornfield that starts killing all the larpers but it's a horror comedy it's it's pretty good where'd you see that at where'd you find it uh, uh god i think you guys own it, or I don't own it. Oh. No, we don't own it. We 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 probably saw it on Netflix at some point. Yeah, I want to find the, that because I I've have, never heard of. Just watch app up right now. 
What's that? Just watch app. Do you have no, it? No, I right don't. I'll look, while you, I'll look while you keep, while y'all keep talking. I'd, I'd never even heard of that until, uh, until we kind of, you know, watched this movie and I did the research on him. I'd never even heard of that, but I oh. do want to see it really bad now. I was aware of it because I'm. It's uh, streaming on Amazon right now. Oh, really? Boom, baby. I'm going to yeah. check it out this weekend. Because I was interested in it because I like Steve Zahn. I honestly want to. I didn't know who Peter Dinklage was at the time. But then when it came out, it was weird when I first saw the trailer for it. I didn't know who Peter Dinklage was. But then when it finally actually came out, came out, uh, Game of Thrones is already a thing. The death at a funeral for Peter. He was already huge. But the main things that drew me to it were Ryan Kwan from True Blood True and Summer Glau from Firefly. Uh, but it's a it's a silly movie for like it's just, you know, it's fun. It's fun. And then the yeah, it seems other, like it. Then his other movie, which I guess is his, it's the one I actually heard about that on another podcast. It was like a way early episode of the now ID10T podcast with Chris Hardwick when it was called The Nerdist with him, Matt Myra, and Jonah Ray. And Jonah Ray spoke about the movie that uh, Selma <laughs> Hayek plays a prostitute and just kills a load. The, the movie never leaves the room she's in. And she just keeps killing a bunch of hitmen that are coming in to try to kill her. And the bodies literally pile up in the room. I'm like, that movie sounds so amazing. I want to watch it. And I just, I've never gotten around to it. And now that he's, I know that he's attached to it and I've seen some of his other works. I'm like, I want to see this movie even more. But Is that have you seen anywhere, Drew? I'm looking right now. Everly. Everly. Have you seen it before, Steve? No, I haven't. Again, I didn't really know much about Joe Lynch. We were talking earlier about, creep show i knew that he had directed some episodes of that and he directed the one last week but i really honestly didn't know much about joe lynch and until mayhem and i just never you know i I watched the movie when it came out but i never really you know looked into joe lynch that much Uh, likewise but i'm aware of those movies i didn't know he had i didn't know he was attached to all these i just knew about each of the movies separately which is a weird thing to know about all of his work separately but not realize that it's all attached to the same dude it might be on shutter but this app has a it has like a it makes it look like it's a part of prime video channels but i thought this app would just show shutter on its own but it might be on shutter well i, well, I think i think because amazon owns shutter they must have bought them recently or they i think they have a deal that if you have prime you get shutter for free type thing yeah so mm-hmm. it really might you be can buy that. shutter by itself through amazon i think or through services but if yeah, you have we have shutters for just five bucks yeah. a month Everly. yeah you might be paying five bucks you don't have to pay if you already have prime <laughs> but um was there anything what, did i miss anything that you were aware of from his because i looked at some of the stuff but i didn't recognize the names well just that i guess the only other thing that really sticks out is that chillerama and yeah. then and then that point blank i don't really know much about it but uh that's a newer one right i think so i think that was like a 2019 but i didn't because i knew i know let's see i'm trying to think that frank grillo's in that I do like Frank Grillo. Yeah. That was Frank Grillo. And who's the other guy in that? Uh, I mean, from what I'm looking at, nobody I really know of. Stuart okay. Wilson. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, Anthony Mackey. I guess it was. Maybe. Okay. I, I thought I was being racist. <laughs> I didn't want to say, okay. So it was Anthony Mackey that I saw. Cool. I'm not racist. Yeah. yeah so those are the ones that kind of stuck out at me. I, I, I Again, I haven't seen any of these, but. They all sound interesting. I'm, I'm just going to definitely check them out. And so, yeah. So with his directing style, um, 
Yes, it is on Shutter. It is on Shutter. Yeah, so Everly is on Shutter. So if you ever want to get around to, you got two new two movies to watch over the course of the yeah, week. Yeah, I'll knock them out this weekend. And so his his directing style, because he Joe Lynch uh, directed the film, as well as uh, when we get to the actual film, he had a a slight starring role, and it was pretty funny. We'll get to that part. And uh, he he acts in a lot of his stuff. And he does. Did you listen to the commentary at all? I did on Shutter. He talks about, you know, he thinks that every director should be an actor and, and have some acting experience. And that way they can see what they're putting their people through and, and vice versa and stuff. Right. So uh, the writer hasn't really done a whole, whole lot. Is a gentleman named uh, Matthias Caru- Caruso. Caruso. Sorry. Yeah, Matthias Caruso. He did a bunch of shorts. And unfortunately, that doesn't do anything for me. I don't. I don't know. I don't watch shorts very often. Unless a short appears on a DVD or a Blu-ray, it's kind of hard to find them sometimes. Or if it's the beginning of Tennessee Gothic at the premiere. Yeah, yeah, that was that short. That that, that short was amazing, though. Yeah, Yeah. and I mean, I'm I'm with you. I'm not, you know, but there are some great ones out there. You know, I've seen some, some pretty decent ones. I saw one just randomly on Facebook, and it was called uh, the Box. You, oh, you guys sent that to me. I think I sent that one to you specifically yeah. where these people just get a box on their door. I think I showed you it's like five minutes mm-hmm. and they set it on the table and they're like, what does it do? And it comes with a note that says, don't open the box or it'll get out. And they're like, what? Or it says, like, don't take your eyes off the box it'll, or it'll get out. And so it kind of like, um, what do you call them? The Weeping Angels from Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. Where they, the way they turn their backs to read it. And when they turn back, the box is had just open with no reason. <laughs> and they walk over to the box and it's just black and they go uh okay and he's like hey let me go get something he's like okay and they turn around and it's just a, a, a man dripping wet and his hand his fingers are outside the box you just see his eyes and they're <laughs> like what <laughs> and then uh, did you not see that <laughs> i don't know i remember that at all i, I swear i have to watch wow. so I, I i didn't realize you just sent it to me i thought i said he probably tagged me i just he I'm doesn't funny watch about watching videos on the internet. I just, I just get, I get, I get distracted and do something else. Yeah, yeah. But like you said, that's pretty much all he has done. But he won. Uh, did you see he won that screenwriting award? And he was on the blacklist for a script for a movie called Carnival. Uh-huh. Or I shouldn't say movie. A screenplay that he wrote called Carnival. That, and I'm talking about Caruso, Matthias Caruso. Yeah. What? Um, but it sounds really cool. This, uh, he. Uh, paid screenwriting awards he won it in 2014 that went into development and it had the director of maleficent you know the angelina jolie movie yeah. it had him attached to direct it but uh again like i said it's just in in i guess limbo of like the you know the production limbo but he uh it's it basically it's a uh, this guy's he's a knife thrower at a carnival and his sister's murdered or something like that and he seeks vengeance on the person that murdered his sister with the help of everybody in the carnival is basically what the synopsis of that was but that sounds awesome i'd watch yeah the heck exactly out of that. so i hope it gets made but i mean i don't know if you can find and again that's why i was kind of clicking around here to see if i could find a little bit more on if if something's 
been pushed through or not but it's if you go to imdb it basically says it has that disclaimer up there because this project's ca- categorizes in development that is only available on imdb pro but okay it's probably one of the ones i didn't click on because like it didn't have a page or just said in production right. and i was like oh it could be in there forever so i don't i don't bother <laughs> looking at things that are in production yeah usually unless it's something that is a known thing like if it's a marvel movie or if it's something that definitely can't be put into a limbo situation but the other thing I looked at, it was a one called Shell Game that had no description at all. Just said production. Yeah. I was like, okay, so why'd I even look at this? But the other one, it's it's got two names, but it's the same word. It's either witch or bruja, which is yeah. Spanish for witch. But I think it's an English film. But I want this movie just sounds it sounds silly. It's a, a single mom who's an expert in black magic is forced to use her powers when a prostitution ring kidnaps her daughter. I'm like, of course I want to see this movie. That sounds crazy. So like, there's just some, if just based off the director and the writer, we got some wicked, silly humor, I guess, wicked, silly humor in situations like so that, that Bruja, that's the writer. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so just if Joe Lynch has already made a prostitute movie, why isn't he all over this Bruja movie? <laughs> I don't <laughs> know. Already made, maybe maybe he won't be typecast. I guess can directors be typecasted? Typecasted as the prostitute movie maker? Sometimes they can. <laughs> I mean, look at David Cronenberg in the early days. Yeah, that's true. We saw. Oh, oh yes. Okay. That was so cool. <laughs> this is kind of cool. Okay, so we've been going. You know, Steve. We've told you. I think on the cast and off it. That we've been going through all the Friday the 13th. Right. And so we only have one left. We have the, the remake. But last Sunday, we were uh, Jason X. We, we were watching Jason X. And the whole, the intro's going, you know, he's all chained up. And you have these executive military types walking through. And there's this older gentleman with these big glasses and his shock of white hair and it's combed back. And he's speaking. And I'm just staring at this guy. And I'm like, I reckon I, I literally told you, I was like, I recognize that dude's speaking pattern, but I don't know There's why voice. I know it. And I was like, what is happening? So I was just, and I, I was like, whatever, because the dude got murdered immediately because Jason broke out, <laughs> killed right. everybody. So we're watching it and, you know, the credits roll. And then out of nowhere, it was like, boom, David Cronenberg is Dr. Hans. I was like, yeah. that was him. Yeah. <laughs> that was because. I I hear his voice from all the special features. Yes, watching all the special features, and I and I, I had the young version in my head. I didn't have the more current versions. I was, you know, but he had the big old glasses still, though. That's his trademark, I guess. But I was so excited that that I I got uh, that I saw David Cronenberg Mm -hmm. in the right. And now now you'll be surprised, like how many things he just pops up in. We talked about it during the podcast. Yeah, he acts a lot, and he always it seemed like he's always some kind of a doctor. I mean, he is a smart dude. Yeah. Again, I he's not a doctor, but he's a very smart man. This is fun. This is a fun moment we had yeah, the other night. Oh, yeah, I was super excited. <laughs> More excited about that than he was watching the actual movie. But well, yeah, but yeah, well, that'll be a different time. Are you ready to dive into the movie, Steve? Or do you want to talk about the cast a little bit? Or oh yeah, 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 yeah. We can totally do that. I mean, it's up to you. No, we we can talk about them briefly because there's there's a lot of people in the movie, but there's only about four or five that have like any actual like two leads and then yeah, breath of work. Um, you want to kick us off? 
I mean, yeah, obviously you start with Stephen Young, like you said, and I'm the same way. I'll pretty much watch anything he's in, and he won my heart. You know, Glenn and The Walking Dead, obviously the first thing I'd ever seen him, and I don't know, really know what all he was in before that, but um, in my opinion, he was the heart of that show, you know, and um, I can't remember how big of a fan you guys are of that show. Or We were but, big early on, and then we got tired of it. Yeah, we – they got wore did, out around the Negan season. The first, the were first you Negan there? Season. Did you watch like that? That whenever Glenn died oh, to yeah. Negan, or you did see that? Yeah, yeah we, we saw, saw that. that. Yeah. So you know, Chris Hardwick hosts that Talking Dead afterwards, and I talk about this all the time. But it literally was like a funeral. You know, after that episode, he had they had a live episode of Talking Dead. Well, so it's pretty much always live, but they had it outdoors. They had the cast there. Everybody was crying. It was raining. It just so happened to be raining that night. I mean, it was Chris Hardwick got, I would say, 20, 30 million people that night through. They <laughs> literally took him to a funeral. But it was just, it was one of the, <laughs> it was just devastating to me whenever that happened. But uh, I mean, Glenn, and, and it all, it all goes to Stephen Young, you know what I'm saying? Just oh, how yeah. he yeah. played that character. And uh, I, I don't know how anybody and- else could have played it. And the growth of that that character went exactly. from episode two, I think he's introduced, to six seasons later. Yeah. And you Seven. can say that about pretty much every character on that show, you know, but just I, I say it all the time, just the character arcs in that show. And again, it, it has run its course, I think, but um, it's, it's up, ending now. Yes, yeah, I think it's final yeah. season. Yeah. Up until that point, I mean, those characters, just like you said, Blake, I mean, every single one of them, how they started and how they evolved and i just i've never seen a tv show put characters through everything that those people went through and every single one of those actors did a great job especially you know uh steven young but you know and again well deserved first uh, asian american to be nominated for best actor oscar this past year and in my opinion he was robbed for that minari i don't, I don't know, know what that, that is Mm-mm. yeah great movie it's uh him and his uh his wife and uh, well, their family and then their grandmother, they, they moved to Arkansas and they buy this farm and he's trying to be a farmer. And uh, it's just the trials and tribulations of everything that he goes to to try to make that farm work. And uh, it's, uh, and, you know, I want to, you know, go into that movie completely, but yeah, you should <laughs> see it. If you're a fan of him, it's, it's some of the best acting I've seen in the last while. Again, I, I think he was robbed of the Oscar. They gave it to, uh, What's yeah. it called again? M-I-N-A-R-I, Minari. Yeah, he was first first Asian-American, believe it or not, for, to be nominated for Best Actor. That's kind of crazy, considering mm-hmm. that there's a lot of pretty badass actors out there that are of Asian-American descent. Yep. First ever. Hmm. But uh, yeah, I mean, again, he's, he's in my opinion, he's a true leading man. And they kind of talked about that in that commentary. You know, he... Talked about how he was glad to get that role and be able to portray it that way. And um, but I think you know he should get he should get more roles. And I hate that, you know, just because he is Asian American, he'll probably be, you know, pigeonholed into this area or that area. But yeah, he can't um, he can't just win an Oscar just for being an actor. Right. They, yeah, they gotta be, oh yeah, they gotta they always gotta they, they gotta, turn it, they gotta it. turn it, they gotta turn it into a thing. So exactly. stupid, everything's gotta be turned into race. But because of his There's pop- be three white men complaining about it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> And I think because of his um, time restraints with Walking Dead, he hasn't acted in a bunch of other stuff, but he has got a pretty decent sized uh, voice acting credits yeah. under his belt. 
a lot of stuff that you guys probably watch. I, I didn't really oh, know yeah. much of that stuff. Like uh, one of the earlier ones is uh, actually in, working with Guillermo del Toro in Troll Hunters, Wizards, and Three Below. He plays at first a just a stupid bully named Steve who's picking on the main character. But then as the show goes on, he grows again. He grows from being a silly bully to like a pretty awesome, you know, fun character, as well as in also that was Netflix. Also on Netflix is uh, Voltron Legendary Defenders, where he plays Keith, one of the paladins of Voltron. And that's whatever, 60, 70 episodes of Voltron he's in. And he does a fantastic job in that. Yeah, that's actually a surprisingly good show. Mm. We watched we watched all that. We, we, weren't, we weren't even Voltron fans. We watched that show. We watched it all the way through. It's really cool. Oh, yeah, we were hooked pretty immediately. This is all, and the art looks awesome. And the, yeah. all the voice acting. The writing's really good. Yeah. And another thing, especially recently, one of the big, big things recently is... Uh, invincible he is the voice of the titular character mark grayson yes he's mm. working he's working you know for the writer creator of walking dead again robert kirkman, robert kirkman created walking dead and invincible almost at the same time those two comics comic books ran side by side yeah you guys mentioned for, that for over over a decade um yeah. and uh, now he gets he gets to use it's funny how glenn would uh steven would be in walking dead so early and then uh, Kirkman would spend all these years maybe trying to find a place to make Invincible to give it a find a place and then when he finally gets Invincible made he has an, a great actor he's already worked with and able to like you would never have thought when you're watching Walking Dead when you're watching Walking Dead you're like man Glenn would make a great Invincible like it, it just it just wouldn't come across your brain but then when you're watching the show and he's doing the voice you're like I, I mean I thought this is perfect and hmm. Yeah. One other small thing was in The Legend of Korra. He has a pretty decent arc to himself, but he plays the first Avatar, Avatar One. And he has a, a long history. It's like an episode or two of like the, the history of the Avatar. And that's, you know, he does a pretty fantastic job in that too. Hmm. So I, I guess voice acting while you're on a TV show is probably one of the best things you can do. Because you could just, oh, oh, I got a few hours. Let me go into the sound booth for the rest of the day as opposed to like traveling from <laughs> location to location. So maybe that's something other actors could look into instead of trying to book a bunch of movies. But yeah. anyway, I love Stephen Young. Yeah, I thought that was interesting on the commentary whenever they were talking about uh, Zoom auditions and uh, the director was talking about, he basically made it sound like that was the norm, you know, nowadays. And Stephen Young was like, no, I've, n- I've never auditioned like that. I've never done a, you, did you remember that part of the commentary? Mm-hmm. I don't remember that part. Yeah. I thought that was pretty neat because it, it does seem like that. And we, I think we talked about it with, even with uh, Emma Stone, you know, going all the way back to Easy A, she, she auditioned, you know, like that. And, but uh, I thought that was interesting that Stephen Young, he, he was just completely like, no, I've never you know, I've never done a Zoom I've never audition. auditioned over that. I, I I'm an yeah. in-person type of dude. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I guess uh, going to the next cast member, obviously the the female lead, Melanie Cross, Samara Weaving. I I would I call her the modern day scream queen. You know, but uh, look at everything she's been in lately. Uh, this the Babysitter franchise, Ready or Not. Uh, it just seemed like every time I turn around, she's in a different horror movie, but. 
she's picking she's picking weird she's picking weird fun movies to do. Oh yeah, yeah. She's, yeah. Besides that, I think her first thing for American audiences was she had three episodes at the end of I think season one or season two of Ash versus the Evil Dead, where she was only for like a couple episodes, and that that's actually where Joe Lynch saw her and was like, I love this girl because because just how how good her acting was and. He, apparently he knew somebody on set and he was asking, he's like, Hey, how is that chick? Did she, did she doing her own stunts? Cause it looks like she's doing her own stunts and stuff. And they're like, Oh yeah. Like anything that she can do, she, we let her do. Cause she wants to do it. And they're like, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. And then like, he was like, he was like, I think I want her for my movie. Yeah. And she, she was in that. Whenever you're saying that, uh, I wasn't sure which TV show you're going to mention, but she was also in, I don't know if you guys saw this TV show called Smilf. I, I saw it on her thing, but I didn't know what it was. On I actually IMDb. watched that. It was it was a pretty fun little show. It, it was really quirky and the cast in it. But she just played a completely different character than anything I'd ever seen her play before. And uh, just really sweet, like sweet uh, type of a person. And uh, there was a basically the show was a, a, a woman and her ex-husband and uh, her her, they, you know, their, their child and Samara Weaving was basically the girlfriend of this guy, uh, the, the main star's ex-husband. But, uh, but again, just a really sweet person, completely different than any of these new horror movie characters she's played. I think she's found, I think she's found her genre, though. Well, yeah, she's, she's got a couple other things under her belt. Um, well, I guess this one still counts because actually when I originally picked Mayhem for for us to watch, it was actually a toss-up between two separate movies, but oddly enough, both were starring her. It was either going to be Mayhem or Guns Akimbo. Oh, okay. The Daniel Radcliffe? Yeah, and I love both those, but I ended up settling on Mayhem because I think I wasn't sure if you'd seen Guns Akimbo or not or if that had been on your radar before. Yeah, I've seen it. I liked it. Because Guns Akimbo was, was fantastic. But she's also in the she's Bill. And, she's insane in that movie. Oh, yeah, she's absolutely. She's coked up and insane. But she's also in Bill and Ted Three: Face the Music. She plays. I haven't one, seen uh, that yet. Maybe she plays one of their daughters. Yeah, she's Thea. <laughs> so I'm assuming she plays Ted's daughter. Maybe yeah. We, have, we haven't seen it yet either. And uh, the coming out, I think it's already out. But the GI Joe, the Snake Eyes movie, mm-hmm. oh, she'll yeah. be playing Scarlet in the in the Snake Eyes movie. I don't think I saw it in the trailers. Me neither. But I thought that was like, oh, that's pretty cool. That's a pretty big action thing. So she does her, she likes doing her own stunt. So maybe she'll do some cool action things. But I did love her in Babysitter. We haven't sat down and watched the Babysitter Killer Queen yet, but the Babysitter. Oh, you haven't? Fun. They're, they're fun. It's fun. They're all fun. Uh, do you want to talk about any of the other ones? I mean, like you said, that this out of every movie we've done it seemed like they're stacked with cast you know and this is the first one we've done where and i mean a lot of people probably don't even know who steven young and samara weaving are you know so that is true um but uh yeah this is the first one with uh the cast the small i mean the only other ones that really stuck out to me was dallas roberts the guy that plays uh the, the reaper. reaper he yeah. uh have you ever seen the movie the, the gray the liam neeson movie with the wolf wolves <laughs> no but uh, he he was in that, and it was just it's crazy to see. I think he did. So he he almost stole this movie, you know his, his the yeah. way he played that character, and uh, again, just completely different than the character he played in the gray. So I need to kind of look into this guy a little bit more and see some of the stuff he's done. I I like him as an actor. He obviously has some some good range. 
the the lady that played the the siren carapal oh yeah uh caroline chikizi i guess i'm not sure is, is that how you say her last Chikizi name, or chikinzi i think she she was a do you, you remember whenever uh, i was reading that book the passage and i did the audiobook and gave it to you guys and everything i don't even know if, I, I think you guys end up not really liking it but because i know they I'll, turned it into a tv show yeah and she was in that that's the only other thing i've seen her in um <laughs> She had one of the bigger roles in that in that TV show, which again they they adapted that into a TV show, like you said, and in my opinion, is destroyed it. They did a terrible job. Uh, and and again, I think it, everyone really talked about it about the episode one. They're like, "Oh my god, that was awesome!" Mm-hmm. But then it faded into obscurity. Like mm-hmm. I didn't know. I didn't hear anyone talking about it after the the pilot launched. No one said I didn't hear anything about it. Yeah, it just shows, it but... just went downhill. But oddly um, enough, uh, she has a few other things. Uh, she was in that Charlie Theron Aeon Flux. She appeared in that That's a long way, time ago, way back in like what 2005 or something like that. She's also uh, in Torchwood for a season or two. Oh, really? And she's uh, this is a, a reprisal for her because her and Joe Lynch actually worked in Everly together. Oh. She was Everly's friend. Uh, I don't, I don't, like, she was just a. It looked like she was a friend based off the stills, but I don't know. They could have just been talking smack and going to murder each other here later, but I'm not sure. The the other name that stuck out to me was um, the lady that played the character of uh, uh, Smythe, Irene, oh, Irene Smythe. Smythe. Yeah, it, since she was an older woman in this, I, I didn't even recognize her, but uh, the actress's name is Carrie Fox. Uh, you know who Mark Rylance is? Mm-mm. Have you guys seen Ready, Ready Player One? We had the we read still, the book, but we, we never we had the watched still the book. Movie. Yeah. Well, he he's the pretty much the main guy in that who dies or whatever, and like the Willy Wonka or whatever. Oh, yeah, that guy. It. But again, he's in a bunch of Steven Spielberg stuff. He was in that Bridge of Spies with uh, Tom Hanks. I think that's what he got nominated for an Oscar, uh, an Oscar for. But uh, Carrie Fox, I always think of her as. There was this movie called Intimacy, and the reason I m- mentioned Mark Rylance is because the two of them had a sex scene in it, and it's one of the few mainstream movies with a real, like, live sex scene in it where she performs oral sex on him. So kind of two mainstream actors doing a scene like that. I always thought that was a pretty big deal, but her name pops up every once in a while, and like I said, I saw it in the cast of this, and I didn't even realize that was her watching the movie because she's she's older now. That uh, Intimacy came out in two thousand one, so obviously that's been twenty years ago. But um, again, that that kind of popped out to me. There was that and that other one. I think uh, don't, the brown bunny. No, don't look now. Oh, with Donald well, Sutherland. See, but see what what you're saying is like people wondering: Did they really have sex or did they not? This they actually they, show it on screen. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I didn't realize they were allowed to do that. <laughs> I don't think exactly. they are. Probably had to change um, some rules after they did that. Like, was that fake? Kind, oh. Well, and kind of one of the reasons I mentioned this, I mean, not just to mention her and, and that, but um, something else that, that was in yeah. the commentary. <laughs> so I was going to say, I thought that was kind of kind of a weird coincidence with her being in the movie with that. And then also in this movie where, uh, and go ahead, I'll, I'll let, since I've been talking a little bit more, I'll let you talk about that part. We can, we will, <laughs> I'll talk about the part and then we'll kind of dive into the movie. Okay. There's a part, it's about halfway through the movie where some violence has happened and they've acquired what they need to get and they're sending a message to somebody. I'm being vague now, but because we're going to do a, f- 
real quick. Right. Full blown spoiler. Spoiler warning right now. We're gonna we're gonna talk about the movie and spoil everything. You you almost always. I've been watching the time. Sometimes you almost always do your spoiler warning thirty minutes into the podcast. Well, because that's about because <laughs> we're, we're about to get to the movie now. It's almost every time, almost the same time. If I feel like when I look at my little clock. So <laughs> I'm gonna be vague now, but you understand when we get to the part. He's sending a message. to Stephen Young's character is sending a message to somebody. And he's filming on his little on his cell phone, and he's giving this speech. And in the background, he's like, "All these people are doing crazy things. There's people who are just fighting, punching, just crying in the corner. And then right behind him, perfectly in frame, are these people fucking. And you're like, okay, that's kind of funny, ha ha ha. But in the commentary, first and foremost. Uh, the movie was filmed in Bel- Belgrade, Serbia. So things are a little different over in Serbia. <laughs> so while they're filming, the the director was like, what's that smell? And one of his ADs was like, they're actually having sex. He's like, what? Are you serious? They're like, yeah, no one told him. Someone just told him to, to go have sex. Ha ha, you know. And I think they took it seriously and started legitimately having sex right there on the table. Yeah, he, he, just, he described <laughs> it as the that. telephone game gone wrong. Wow. Yeah, Where, do you know what I'm talking about, Drew? Oh. It's right after... I, I remember when he was recording the video, like sending the message. Right after they I, the, I, was, I, was, I was focused on him talking. Yeah. I didn't really look at the background. But he's giving that speech. He's like, you know, never read. He's an upstanding citizen in a room full of witnesses in the broad daylight. Yeah, I remember the scene, yeah. And he's like, literally right behind him, there's just people fucking. <laughs> and they're they were legitimately having sex. He's like, he's like, you remember this, don't you, Stephen? He's like, no, not at all. Uh-uh. He told him they were really having sex, and Stephen Young was like, what? No, no way. Yeah, things, <laughs> like, things are a little different in Serbia. Yeah, he's like, he's, well, he said this, it was a real, a real, you know, boyfriend and girl. They were actually a real couple. So he's like, it wasn't anything weird. They were a real couple. Yeah, it wasn't two strangers. You like, please have sex by in the back here. Yeah. Well, but yeah, what basically like. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, because well, what happens is let me talk about this. This is actually kind of a cool behind the scenes thing is there's a lot of extras in this movie. A lot of people in the background doing in, increasingly crazy things. And I'll explain this to why that's going on here in a minute. But because of the amount of extras and some of them English wasn't their first language. And so they had to have translators and stuff like that to communicate. So as the director, if the director speaks to an extra, they are no longer an extra. They're automatically upgraded to an a- to actor because the director spoke to them. So there are loopholes around that. If the director can't talk to somebody, but yet his uh, ADs can, and his uh, ADs assistant t- director. Yeah, I'm saying, tell folks what, what yeah. an AD is. Yeah. An AD is an assistant director or the... Uh, PD, the principal photographer. I don't know. I think everyone just calls him the principal photographer. PD just sounds weird, but because they're allowed to, I need you to stand over here, stand over here while I'm taking, while I'm you know recording. And so what happened? Like Steve said, it's a weird. It was a bad version of the phone game because there was all these ads being told by Joe Lynch, "Hey, go tell them to do this. Go tell them to do this." Go. And so they're being fed information like second or even third hand. And so they're just like, okay, I guess we're just going to bang on this table. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> They'll give me a check. Okay. I could do that. 
<laughs> I that was, was a great moment of the commentary. Funny. That's crazy. I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> and so evidently the main star of the movie didn't either. <laughs> he had no like, no clue. <laughs> uh, so okay. So we're gonna dive into the movie now. First and foremost, the movie movie does a fantastic job setting itself up, frankly. The movie's only what an hour twenty, it's not even 90 minutes long, I don't think. Yeah, but you're saying six set, minutes set stuff up perfectly. There's not a lot to really set up. It's it's a exactly. very it's a very straightforward kind of movie. It sets it up in the very opening scene where it introduces the main sub thing. Uh, uh, something uh, it's a virus called the ID7 virus. Red eye. Basically, or the becomes colloquially known as the red eye. What happens is because one of the eyes, you, I think it's always the right eye for whatever reason, just becomes bloodshot and just then you're not crying blood or anything, but it just becomes super red and irritating. Right. And what <clears throat> they tell you real early on, the virus itself isn't deadly, but what it does is it breaks down. Uh, emotional and moral barriers in your brain. So normally something, you know, if you get mad at someone at work, instead of punching them in the face, you would normally just walk away and just like breathe real heavy. This basically be- makes you subject to all your most inner desires, your, your id, your inner desires. And so instead of not yelling at that person and punching them in the face at work, you pick up your keyboard and you smash it over their face repeatedly because it makes you feel good. Right. You know, it's just primal rage. And we see that in this opening, it's like what, two minutes, five minutes. Yeah. And it's all Stephen Young kind of doing that voiceover narration too, describing all that. And yeah. And in his exact words in that, like you said, he he says it's a non-lethal virus that infects neural pathways removing all inhibition and moral integrity, resulting in people acting out their darkest impulses, which may include murder. (laughs) May include murder. Now, one cool thing is this opening shot was shot separately uh, because they were kind of like, oh, we need to shoot kind of like an intro to the movie. And so they shot, this wasn't the last thing they shot, but they shot this kind of afterward. And they shot it on the Sony F-55. And they, sh- they the, the reason they shot it on that is because it they didn't originally intend for it to be black and white because the opening is in black and white. They had filmed it with these cameras and they're like, oh, we can't want to go back and, you know, change it. And they're like, no, let's just bleed out all the color except for the red. And so they would they talked about how this camera was they were lucky that they had used this camera because it actually strips to black and white beautifully. And allowed them to make the to color correct just the red, and made it just so it made all everyone with the red eye pop in the blood. So it was kind of like watching what was that movie Sin City where the color popped mm-hmm. like certain colors, but this one was right. strictly just red. Yeah. But then the rest of the movies in color, so I don't have anything to worry about there. But it introduces the ID seven, and then shortly thereafter we get this kind of opening speech because that intro is kind of referenced through the entire movie because that's the first time someone actually murders somebody while infected with the ID seven virus. And then it switches over to our character, Stephen Young or the actor, Stephen Young, who plays character Derek Cho. He's an up and coming, super happy, go lucky. Welcome to the law firm. He's 
bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, and ready to pursue the world's law and be a good person, which he is disavowed of very quickly. And they do a pretty awesome uh, scene to show this. Uh, I think Joe Lynch originally wanted shot as a, as a one-shot, but it became too complicated with the amount of, um, what's I'm looking for, amount of costume changes they mm-hmm. wanted Derek to go through. And it, it is impossible for him to go through that many that fast. Because it's showing different stages of his oh yeah working there, like the first day, six months in. Yeah. It's like six months in, two years in, I think all the way up to like five years in. But one cool thing is the entire, that whole intro elevator scene, uh, Joe Lynch shot on his phone and did that whole thing in an hour. And so all the people in the elevator, it's all just the same extras just rotating in and out. And Steven, and it was actually really cool because I did like how they, it made it kind of look like a one shot because he would get bumped and have to bend down to pick up his papers. And when he stood back up, he was in a different outfit and it was actually cut together very, you know, very uh, cleverly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he talks about that in the commentary. It's a pretty good part too. And so, like I said, it, it goes kind of very quickly. It goes, and so you get to, you also get to see how much of a, he, I guess what's I'm looking for, kind of a dickhead lawyer he's become, how ruthless he's had to become over the years. Because as soon as he kind of, we go through that whole little intro of him growing and you find out he's the one who found the loophole in that opening case. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the, what's his name? Uh, Neil Reed, Neville Reed. Neville Reed, Neville Reed. The Neville Reed case. He's the one who discovered the loophole that Neville Reed wasn't responsible for killing that man because he wasn't. He was. It was temporary insanity. It was basically what it came down to. And he was. They ended up. He found the loophole that got his, his law firm, which got the dude off on murder, and that got him the huge promote. You get all this in the open, the scroll, in the voiceover while he's going through these elevator scenes, and so he gets promoted gets the big corner office, which he's always wanted. He's got himself a couple of assistants. So he's pretty head honcho. He gets to his floor on his way to his office and he sees one of his coworkers just yelling and berating. Um, I guess she's the floor receptionist. I guess she's right there, right off the elevator. He's yeah. I like, wasn't hey. sure if that was his secretary or what, but yeah, her name's Jenny. Yeah. I think his secretary was that the gentleman, or not his his aide, his assistant. Well, that was, was Derek's. I was talking about that guy's Oswald or whatever the guy's showing at her. Yeah, I think so. I think it may have been his, maybe. Yeah. Oh yeah, because he because he says, oh, a guy who yells at his assistant, for you know, right. So he's like, hey, come here, come here real quick. Let me show you this cool video. Someone just sent this to him, and he pulls up this video on his phone, and it's the dude who was yelling at the girl, getting a beager at last year's Christmas party. And what was it? Was it her doing it? No, I don't okay. think so. It was somebody, somebody else. Okay. So I, 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 I don't think that's your wife, is it? He's like, I don't. He's like, that. That's you, isn't it? And I don't think that's your wife. <laughs> and you know what? If you yell at her again, I'm going to sell this video to your wife for half of the half she's going to get from you. Sound good? All right, buddy. And he pats him on the good side time. of the face and he walks away from. Him. Like you're like, dang. He's ruthless. He's a, mm-hmm. you know, he's a soulless lawyer. And then he kind of, you know, suit. goes, yeah, suit. <laughs> you want to, because then it does, um, 
you know, it lets you know he's kind of he hasn't had time for his family. His his aide has to trick him in having a phone call with his sister that he didn't want to have because he's so work oriented and he's such a he's got finally, you know, he's worked his ass off to finally get where he's at. And, you know, and so he. He basically he, he's freaking out about his coffee cup and oh, he goes yeah. to find his coffee cup. And then that's whenever Jenny, the same girl you're just talking about that was getting yelled at, tells him that she was just helping out up on the top floor or whatever and overheard them saying that he 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 fucked up the, the Vandercorp case. Ooh, well, I think before that, didn't he meet Melanie? His eight o'clock oh, is Melanie. That, is and that then enough? he goes looking for his coffee cup. Yeah, you're right. I think. Yeah. Because after he gets off the phone with his sister, his A was like, oh, yeah, your eight o'clock's here. And and now we're introduced to our second character, our co-star, Melanie Cross, played by Samara Weaving. And so she comes in pretending to be a lawyer. And so she's pretending to be a lawyer on her family's behalf to try to get this bank to stop foreclosing on their home to extend the amount of time they need to get paid. Derek immediately asks her one question. Oh, would you be willing to do what is it? A deed in lieu, and and she looks very confused. And he immediately deduces, "Oh, you're not a lawyer, are you?" She's like, "Yeah, I am. If you were, you know what a deed in lieu is." She's like, "Well," he's like, "Well, what is that?" And he's like, "Well, I can't be speaking with you if you're not a lawyer because that's against the law, whatever." And she's like, well, screw you, suit. And she, like, lights up a cigarette. He's like, this is no smoke. So she has a problem with authority, and they immediately hate one another right off. Well, she hates him, and he's just doing his job. And then she says a pretty awesome little, I guess, family saying. How'd it go? The the no, no raindrop ever thought it caused the flood? Yeah. No raindrop ever thinks it caused the flood. That's actually, I like, it's actually a really nice little saying. Again, that's going back to that. I didn't. I didn't realize this scene happened so early. You know, it's. I'm just. I'm looking at it right now. Seven minutes into the movie is when he has this conversation with her. All that other stuff that we were talking about happened in in less than yeah. seven minutes. Yeah, it's bonkers. And then we get because like the whole movie, like I said, the movie's only hour twenty seven minutes. The first twenty minutes is very quickly set up, mm-hmm. and then it gives you the next hour of what has been promising. But so (laughs) yeah, the mayhem. So after him, he kind of gives her some lawyer. He's going to give her some lawyer advice about who's in charge of her case. She's like, "Why demand to speak to that woman?" He's like, "All right, let me get on the phone for you." Very next scene, he's called security and they're dragging her away, and she's (laughs) you know biting and spitting and carrying on, being all aggressive. And then he goes on the hunt for his mug that he's been looking for since he got to work that no one can find. And while he's looking for it, the uh, the receptionist who he helped prior uh, says, hey, you know, I think she calls him Derek. I think she's on friendly terms. With him. She's like, Derek, I was just upstairs um, helping out for one of the other girls, Brenda, because she wasn't feeling well this morning. And I heard that you messed up some Vandercorp shit. And he's like, that's not one of my clients. And we're like, that's not what they think. I think you should get this. I think you're about to get screwed. I'm, you know, just letting you know. And so he's like, what? And he gets, you know, he immediately has to go see who we, who they call uh, the siren. Played by, it's, her, it's her case. It's her case. She's the yeah. one in charge of this Vandercorp case. 
and that is the uh, the Candice Chikinzi. Caroline Chikizi, yeah. Cher- wow, wow, I said Candice. Yeah, Caroline Chikizi. Also called, what's Carapow? Uh, Carapow, uh-huh. And her nickname is The Siren. And I think she's referred to as The Siren most of the movie. Yeah. From, from, because the whole movie is from uh, Derek Cho's point of view. So he calls, he gives these nicknames to these people, and that's what he calls them in these voiceovers or when he's communicating with some uh, Samara in a little bit. He goes up there. Basically, what's happening is there's a, uh, a file, a single file worth millions upon millions of dollars that was mishandled, and he's being thrown under the bus for it basically is what's happening because she's been there longer and so she's gonna you know throw him under the bus and call it a day he demands to have it taken up with the higher up and so they end up going to a higher up we get introduced to the boss aka john towers who the law firm is towers Smythe and associates so he's one of the partners nine yeah we get introduced to him and he's already a character because as soon as they get up there, they're like, Hey, what kind of mood he's, is he in? And they're like, <laughs> he's drawing. He's drawing. <laughs> great. That's a great move for the boss to be in. And they're like, Oh, he's the, you know, John, they give a little backlog on him. John towers. He's been doing this for this amount of years. He's the boss. And he dabbles in the fine arts. And when you finally see his painting, he's working on it's these stick figures. <laughs> <laughs> so he's just a he's just a character. What, and, what do you see here? <laughs> <laughs> and he basically explains that that file is a ticking time bomb, and someone's got to take the fall for it because the company can't take the hit. And basically, what happens is there's everyone's turning on Derek, even though he's the one who won them the most recent big, big case. And he, they have no choice. There's nothing he can do. There is backs against the wall and there's nothing he can do. So he immediately runs to speak to his, his best friend, which is a, a gentleman named Hewan, who uh, I actually really enjoyed Hewan. He was this super mellow chill guy. Who's like doing these like well sounds and, Wheat shot was. Do you think I like the taste of kale? (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't. But he's he's explaining to him like, oh, all we gotta do is work out a strategy. Was that was that the bonsai snipping scene yet? Mm -hmm. Okay, that's 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 the reaper. I love that's the reaper. Oh, that's the reaper. Oh, that's the reaper guy. I love that bonsai snipping scene. Oh yeah, I have that. I'll talk about that once I get there in a minute because I'm trying to kind of shoot through the. This is the boring stuff, but it's only like 20 minutes, but it's they oh, shove it's all a, the setup. Yeah. They shove a lot into this 20 minutes. That's why I was mm-hmm. talking about it gets set up perfectly because you get introduced to the bad people. You know that they're horrible, horrible human beings. The lawyers. Exactly. And basically humans like, all right, we, we got it. We got to strategize. We got to have a plan. And <laughs> as long as we don't take it up the food chain, I think we can we can solve this. And Derek's like, oh, God. He's like, oh, my God, you've already taken it up this you took it. Oh no! You took it all the way up to the boss. Okay, let's take a beat. I'm trying to get this figured out. Why'd you fuck this up? <laughs> and then within that same scene, uh, the the siren comes down and goes, "Derek, uh, pack your pack your things. You're fired." And he's like, "Fuck you, bitch!" And he goes to his office. He's like, "This isn't over. 
and then we get our first introduction to the character known as the Reaper. And that is because he's the guy who go, he works for their HR department. He's the go around. He's the guy who goes around and fires people. That's this dude's entire job. He goes around and he fires people. And he gives this whole spiel to Stephen Young's character to Derek Cho about how he's don't I'm just a messenger. Don't 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 give me uh, any of your sob story. I don't care. I'm here to do my job. My job is to get you to sign these papers, which includes your severance package, this, that, and the other. Take it so you can be rich and you don't have to come back here. And but obviously the caveat to that signing that is he'll probably be disbarred and not be able to get another job, et cetera. Oh yeah. And could face legal action from the client right. that potentially lost millions of dollars. So there's a whole backstabbery thing. He yells, there's some exchanging, screw you, screw you. And he's like, whatever. At the end of the day, you still have to leave because you're fired. So he calls security. Now, while all this is going on, a, a, a quarantine slash SWAT unit has come pulled up and started like blockading off all the entrances. Because so, apparently, uh, I guess the CDC, after the first outbreaks of the ID7 virus, which you get the in the intro, is it became um, involuntary or forcibly. Uh, all these, uh, they called it sniffers, mm-hmm. were installed in all business ventilation sh- systems. So they could detect the. That seems like a massive undertaking that they just glaze right over in this movie. Yeah, that, that was my first issue with the movie for sure. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's it a like, it's a minor. I think they were hoping you would just people, the viewers like us would just like glaze right, right over that, and not even think about the the massive billions of dollars it would take to do that, and and I mean millions of dollars to do in one city, much across, much much less all across wherever they think they installed those things. Yes. Suspension of disbelief. Yeah, you, you, <laughs> have, you have to, I guess. I mean, granted, believe me, once the movie gets going, you don't even think about you that nonsense that ever again. I, mean, I remember it now that you're saying it, yeah. and, I was, and I remember thinking that, and I was like, when it first happens, and I was like, there's no way this could ever be organized to Especially, these little machines. It would never be that organized that fast by any means. Right. But even with the you see the, the, the sniffer and the, the CDC or whoever it is coming to that building during the whole intro part, you kind of, so this, it's been showing it kind of spreading inside the building anyway. Yeah. Like when you said the guy was yelling at his receptionist, it, like it zooms in and is it up where like zooms in? It's like spittles flying through the air that shows them. Oh yeah. Well, no, it's after, it's after the Melanie scene when he takes a drink of water and it zooms in on the water and you see the red particles mm-hmm. in the water, and then it does a whole little like people wiping their noses and clicking R- on keys and rubbing and- their eyes. And yeah, so it's, you've been seeing that as all the other scenes have been happening. You've been seeing this thing spread across this. It's pretty, it's pretty gross actually, but yeah. it's spreading across this building. And then this, and then you get to where you're the CDC, whatever it is, shows up. And they quarantine all like I mean, they go hardcore. They got what they got guns. If you step across this line, you will get shot type situation this is a quarantine for everyone's safety you have to stay inside the building because if it spreads outside the building then it's a a massive thing Mm -hmm. so they keep everything inside the building and they're like what is going on you know because derek's being escorted up by security and they're like what's going on and they're like oh we're being quarantined well we don't know what's going on and then it pans to the 
they're called the nine. It's the the board of directors basically. Right. It's Towers, Irene Smythe, and seven other individuals and all the partners of this law firm. And they're having a teleconference with the CDC lady outside, and she's explaining all this stuff to them about the sniffers. Uh, they've already uh, released an airborne uh, uh, vaccine to help battle the symptoms. Everything should be done in about eight hours. Mm-hmm. So it automatically gives us a timer on the movie. The, the, it's, you know, the movie, yeah, the movie's eight hours long, just so you guys know. <laughs> and so it gives us, it gives us a, a deadline. It introduces with all the characters and everything. Like I said, all this in the first 20 minutes. Yeah. There's a lot shoved into 20 minutes. And then it shoots back to Derek being in the in the lobby. And they're like, what do we got to do now? I don't know. And he just, you hear screaming and he turns. And it's that guy he blackmailed earlier in the movie just coming out of left field and does a Superman punch right into his face <laughs> just and starts getting the shit kicked out of him. And then that's when the voiceover, it's like, and then inside me, something snapped and i think it stopped being in his head at that point a lot of his dialogue has started because which kind of makes sense because that's kind of a cool artistic thing because it's not his inner desire anymore it's him vocalizing it because it stops doing a lot of the voiceover from this point forward right it's not in his head anymore it's all outside so at, at this point when when the virus affects like this and did, did i miss something or do they ever explain like why, why does it affect some people? Some, you know, one way and other people another way, because at, at this point he, he snaps that way. And then he kind of goes back to normal. And again, later on in the movie, it's like he has a level head. So does uh, Melanie Cross's character, but then I don't know. It's just, I, was, was there some, was there an explanation there somewhere about how this thing affects people? Because I was just super confused on that, you know, like, how he could just be so violent all of a sudden and uh, you know, Niles snaps him out of it right after this. and Because it's, it's your id. Even your most inner desire, you're not always angry and violent all the time. In your head, you're not going, I want to murder everybody 24-7. But it's right there in the moment. But sometimes when you're not in the moment, your inner id matches what you're doing. You just, you just want to be chill. You're calm, collected. Okay. And I, that, that's how I perceived it. I wondered why my thing I wondered about was why the um, everybody seemed to be going f- fucking crazy in the movie. Most people did. The the nine were kind of chill, except for the main guy who was like bashing shit with a golf club all the time. Towers, power, towers. Yeah, everybody else, everybody else seemed to see the rest of the nine who weren't even really character. Him and Smythe, I guess, were character. Everybody else was kind of just people in well, the I background. Think their things were, but I'm fear. saying maybe so. That so I they, think they're, fears they're, they're kept them in. in fear order. was more presented but uh but uh the siren and then the reaper guy both of them seemed like they weren't really going nuts either and like you you see the siren chick a lot and she's got her red eye but she's not attacking anybody she kind of keeps and also based off her character is she kind of does whatever she wants anyway so is that that the point of her character maybe she she, so he she her her outside with her her inside her horrible insides were already out yeah Okay. Because she was throwing him under the bus and everything, going, "Oh no!" I didn't, think, I didn't really think about that. Kind of makes sense. You know, like, she I, snapped I on. I don't know if that's what people. they were. If that's what if that's what they were going for. I don't know. If, is that what do you what do you think about that, Steve? I mean, that's that's the way to explain it, I guess. But yeah, I mean, it is something that it just seemed a little inconsistent to me. 
the the way that, that again we talk about it all the time it's almost like as the story dictates you know how, how you want this character to act in this situation they act in the situation but um again it just kind of seemed inconsistent but if we really thought about it we probably could figure out an explanation for each one of them like you did i mean you you explained it pretty pretty well there i i can see that but um you want to talk about this scene Drew? this is actually i think probably your favorite scene in the movie oh uh, this is a moment that i, I just, <laughs> not really i mean it's not all not really a scene it's just that 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 yeah. one moment right there i just love Stephen young's that little part where he's just he gets he stands up after beating the shit out of that one guy, I guess, and somebody's somebody's talking to him. Mistake, talking to he him, was to talking to him, trying to calm him down. And, and Stephen, I forget, I forget what he's saying. He just goes, ah! and he turns around and he just annihilates this random person walking by. And I just, love just that destroys his face. He just, just destroys this random guy and goes, Whoa! And, and he kind of just moves on with what he was doing. I, I laughed out, literally laughed out loud when he just socked this random dude walking by. Okay. And this is when Niles is trying to calm him down. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, <laughs> but you know what part he's he you were yeah. talking uh-huh. about? He yeah. Just, yeah, just annihilates this random passerby. Like Stephen, and that's like Stephen Young just got attacked by this other guy, the Oswald, the Oswald guy. Oh, yeah, he's, he got he's up from that. And he just, I mean, this is random, this extra. It, it was just I don't just, know the timing, the timing of it, and everything, and Stephen Young. It was just it all. And it was, so, it was like, a fun moment during that moment. Uh. I guess moment of clarity is you and like, look, we're going to hide out in my office until this whole thing settles down and everything goes accordingly. But Steve gets in his head. He's like, Hey, I'm not responsible for anything I do right now for these eight hours for the, for the next, you know, eight hours. So I'm going to go get my job back. I'm going to, you know, I'm a, yeah, I'm going to kill the people that fired me. <laughs> and so he ends up getting into the elevator which they have to have access codes and stuff like that in order to go up and down. Even for someone as high up as him, that he still needs a code to get to levels above him. He ends up getting a code, and the bosses are like, you think I'm stupid? I, <laughs> you're not coming up here to kill me, Derek. And he's like, he immediately tricks him and has him get the shit kicked out of him. That's a big dude. By some, uh, a guy who has no official job title, his name's just Bull. Well, his name's like Cole. Well, call him the Enforcer. Or whatever. He's the yeah. tower, Towers Enforcer, yeah. But he doesn't have an actual job title. He's just the guy that works there. Everyone knows him, but no one knows what he does. Right. <laughs> that, that's explained earlier in the, in oh, the yeah. voiceover, right? He's the unofficial, you know, hand of the of the nine, oh, well, of Towers specifically. Right. And so they're like, there's basically a big ass fight scene, and the whole time the towers is just laughing at Derek, and just going a little bit more crazy. He was like, "Oh, bull, I don't hear any crying. Why don't I hear any crying?" He's like, "Sorry, <laughs> boss," because he has them on speakerphone while they're beating the hell out of Derek with some pair of brass knuckles. And he's like, "Sorry, boss. Hold on one second. And he walks over to Derek while he's like <laughs> writhing on the ground, having the crap kicked out of him just now. Pulls out some pepper spray and just guns him right in the <laughs> face just doesn't stop and he, when he starts crying he puts the pepper spray away. he he's crying now boss <laughs> and he was like good 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 the pepper oh. spray comes into play later on oh yeah he's like now no this is the the boss the boss is like i want to hear a bone break give me a bone breaking there uh bull and he's like all right hold on one second boss and then for the save, uh, human comes in to play. 
one more one more time to, to, to save Derek's ass. Hewan's a pretty good character. And he beats the hell out of because Bull's not by himself. He has one henchman behind him. And Hewan beats the heck out of that guy, grabs a hold of Bull, and then Bull punches him like once or twice and ends up knocking him back into a like a big thing of some lumber. And one of the pieces has a massive nail sticking out the back. And it manages to be perfectly placed where it punctures right, right into the base of Hewan's skull and kills him. Mm-hmm. And then Steven Yeun's like, no, Hewan, Hewan, no. And the boss is like, did you just kill Hewan Bull? I did, boss. And then you, the, because his inner id, you're like, do you know how many hours of money I'm going to lose until I find a replacement for him? He was so good at his job. <sighs> And the bo- and the guy and Bull's like, I'm sorry, I killed him, boss. He's like, No, you idiot, you didn't kill him. The ID7 virus killed him. Okay, so you're not responsible for anything you do down there. And then they just kind of keep iterating that people aren't responsible for what they do while under the virus. It's just, I guess, so you understand that everything that goes on is, it's going to be crazy. And one one other, or has has this happened yet, or not? Does this happen after that, where he puts that phone together? This happens right after because okay. he beats the crap out of him. He knocks him out. And then he's like, the the boss goes, throw him in with the other one. And you're like, other one? What, is, what do you mean the other one? And they kind of give you some confusion. And you want to take this part over, Steve? I've talked a bunch. I don't think I've let you talk any. You oh, it's just your movie. But yeah, it, I, I will go back. Going back to you, and I, I didn't mean to kind of skip past that. Um, I hated that he left the movie so early because I agree with you. He was a fun character. I mean, it's basically 30 minutes into the movie, right? You know, that I think it's symbolic almost because he was such a, a a moralistic character, such a moral level headed, even though. As you find out, because the ID virus, he's like, I'm thinking all this shit, all this. Oh, I'm so peaceful. I hate it. I don't like wheatgrass shots. I don't like the well sound. <laughs> right. I hate it. My life sucks. He's really that, apparently that's that that, 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 that kale line coming in. Yeah, I don't, I don't like, the, like the taste of kale or whatever. I, I like the taste of kale. <laughs> apparently, all this you know, you know, Zen master stuff has all been a lie. So you kind of find out that it's all been a lie, and that this moralistic character who you think is going to be like the more the the conscious the the conscience conscience yeah yeah of the movie dies so the conscience dies the morals die and it leaves steven yun tetherless to just go bonkers yeah. and i think it it does a good job because if that guy was there the whole time going oh we shouldn't beat these people up we should you know i, I want to say he was kind of a bit of a coward but he kind of came and saved Derek from that guy anyways he wasn't a coward but he was also the guy going hey let's just hide out in my office until this is over with so yeah. so he wasn't um I would have liked to see more of him. I think they could have done more with that character. Yeah. I think that was a screenwriting flaw. Um, but yeah. So uh, to your uh, what you were mentioning earlier, the so like you said, they throw him in there with Melanie. Uh, they're they're basically in the basement together. There's a phone destroyed in there. Derek grabs it, starts putting it together, and he gets it together good enough to be able to call uh, Vandercorp, and he basically starts, you know telling them his innocence and how they mishandled the case. And um... before we get to the, the Frankenphone scene, I did want to talk about uh, the, when he wakes up with Melanie 
and they kind of get into that fight and they just start spitting on one, Dude, one I hated it. I hated that. You didn't think it was funny? No, man. I, I tell Jeff this all the time. People I hate spit. whenever people spit in somebody's face in a movie and they show it. And I hate when people throw up or and I like why show it? it just shows somebody retching. Why do I need to see the throw up? And the same thing here. You can hear the spit sound or something like that. And they're spitting in each other's faces. But when they show it, I hate that, man. Like, why? I mean, it's gross. I don't like it either. But again, like, we kind of mentioned it last week. It's like nowadays they just show everything. And I, I hate it, man. But I don't know. I could I could have. It was cool what they did, and they whenever they talk about it in the commentary, how he said they just went at it, and how good of a sport Samara was with doing that, and they just had no problem doing it. And Stephen Young was even like, "It was so gross," but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I could do without that. But it, I mean, it was funny, but I just wish I wouldn't show one. It just showing how they're acting; they're just giving over to their inner id. They're acting like literal children. They hate one another, and like, like. I, it kind of admittedly, it maybe could have been funny if it started out as the tongue and then they spit, but they and they, but they just hated one another from the get go and started spitting right away. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, just sh- actually showing it takes the con, in my opinion, maybe I'm in the minority there, but it makes it not funny to me. It makes it too gross. But um. oh, yeah, I'd be pissed <laughs> if somebody actually spit on me in real life. That's that is that's gross. Yeah, but no, yeah, that was a, that. I'm glad you mentioned that because that was a, a key point. But yeah, so uh, again, I, I know we're kind of not even halfway through the movie yet, and we're already this far into the podcast, so I'll kind of make it fast. But but basically, he puts that phone together, and he's able to call Vandercorp and kind of get them the heads up on what really happened. And from this point, uh, Derek and Melanie start armoring up and grab grab some weapons in there, a nail gun and they realize that they're not going to be held responsible, you know, for, for these actions, because again, Derek, like you said, he was a key point in that case and getting that guy to be able to plead insanity. So they, they realize they can kind of go on a rampage and work their way up there uh, to the, the, uh, the floor that the, the, the boss is on and, and kind of get this situation taken care of. So they, again, they arm up, Again, more more uh, more people are sent to to get them, but they need to get those key cards. How do they get those key cards? I can't remember. The key cards you have you get from being uh, higher up, and it's kind it kind of plays. I don't want to give. How do they get them though to get up there? Well, the first one they get from the Reaper. He's got the level six key card that gives them to level seven. That's level seven is where the siren is, and with level seven's key card, it takes them all the way up to the boss. Right. That's right. And so the first order of business is catching the Reaper, which is actually he was was, that was a pretty cool scene because everything's freaking out and destroying. But then you see him and it's calm and quiet. And you see he's just kind of snipping away at this bonsai tree. But then it starts playing some metal music and he's like jump cuts, yeah. And and he goes back to being calm and he's snipping the bonsai and the jump cut is just metal. And then, like, kind of at the very last second, he hears some noise outside and gets mad and stabs his pair of scissors down on the on the bonsai tree. And you realize, oh, he's been destroying the, the Zen was what he wants to be. But he's really been destroying this little tree. He hadn't been peaceful at all while this little scene's going on. And those jump cuts are really was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of our first big conflict. 
which is with the Reaper. I, I did like the, because uh, he, he walks with the cane. And I really like the little added sound effect of his cane, like the tink, tink, tink. Yeah. The, the noise they made. Every time he used it to make a step or every time he used it to hit somebody. Because, yeah, he has a really cool anime intro right here. Because he walks out of his office, which I'm, I don't know what makes him come out of his office. I th- oh, I think someone's screaming, oh, God, oh, God. And so he walks out of his office and he sees one of his coworkers. It's like on the floor gripping his thigh. And he looks across the way and there is uh, Melanie and Derek. And Melanie's got her her nail gun. And Derek waves at him and he kind of nods his head back. The Reaper nods his head back at them. And she immediately pulls the trigger on the nail gun. He holds his cane up and she nails a, a, a passing sheet of paper to his, his cane. Cool. <laughs> it, was, it was so pointlessly cool. <laughs> and then they, because they want to get him. And so they, they have to run around this whole little like open atrium area i'm not sure what it is the whole right. the whole floor plan is open like you can see all the way up and all the way down from this central type of sh- like shaft i guess didn't you tell me off podcast though that the it's only a, a three-story building yeah it's only a three-story building yeah. but they have it they had to change all the flooring to try to accommodate to make it look like well sometimes they look up they, they'll look over the side they look down they look up and you look, it looks like they it's, yeah. a, it's a bigger they, they had to add in is. some visual shots to make it look further than it was and that kind of comes in key on the very last scene too with towers oh yeah and so uh they end up doing a pretty pretty rough fight for melanie because as they're trying to track down the reaper some of the guards kind of sneak in behind him and she gets tased, Taste. poor thing. And it <laughs> stinks. Like she's just shocked the whole time. And Derek's going around doing some guerrilla war tactics and murking these people. And so he, uh, the Reaper comes out. He's like, oh, because she can't move and she's paralyzed. And he's just start. he's like, oh, I hate the fact that uh, I hate gender inequality in work. I think women should be treated the same as men. And he just starts beating the hell out of her with his cane. Cool side note, if you're paying attention, the nail is still driven through the cane. Oh, if, really? I if you're paying attention that. in some of the shots, when he's coming down on her, it's still through the, uh, I thought that was kind of just a random little piece. But the fact that the nail was still there was pretty cool. Yeah, so when, once they get into the Reaper's office and they're trying to get that key card, uh, Derek gets the scissors through his hand. He's basically pinned to the table to the Reaper's desk with the scissors through his hand. And uh, Melanie has to take on the Reaper herself and she has the power saw. Yeah. Do you know about that power saw? Uh-uh. Uh I thought they talked about it in the in the commentary. Maybe I'm, I must have missed it. Because I mean they talk about it a lot. And they sometimes talk about stuff after the scene had already passed. And so because they were kind of all over the place during the commentary. Yeah, they were. Uh-huh. But when that's when they came to film that scene, it wasn't a stunt one. It was a real electric saw. <laughs> they didn't have a stunt one. And they're like, so what am I supposed to do with this? And they're like, we don't have time to find another one. <laughs> so uh, what we're going to do, <laughs> what they ended up having to do, and they shoot it that way, is uh, he yells, extreme measures, and she digs for it, and she pulls out the saw and does the whole thing. You see the saw and it zooms in on the saw and you mm-hmm. see her click it on and it actually come on. 
because it's it's a real saw. But then when it comes to the actual thing, he said they they popped the battery out, and that's the the only thing they could do because it wasn't like a fake one. They could all right. they could do was pop the battery out and pray that a ghost charge didn't go off and hurt somebody. And so she <laughs> they had to just pray that it wasn't gonna hurt nobody. <laughs> and so then she just took the now depowered actual electric saw, just kind of like. I mean, and it's a real metal blade. So she was jabbing him with the the handle instead of the actual blade. But because he had the mm. jacket on, it kind of worked out. You can't see it. And then you just add in the sound of effects. But right. she guts him like a fish. <laughs> it's violent. And shortly after this scene is actually where we get to that scene we were speaking about earlier. Because this is the first time just a few times throughout the movie. This is the first time where he he will he asks her to record him, and so it gives it that kind of that floaty dreamlike feeling, right? And when he gives the speech about oh he breaks apart the 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 Neville Reed case and that look around you the, these people look like good eyewitnesses to what actually happened we don't know, and so at that this is that same scene that has the people actually having sex in the background. Yeah, just complete chaos going on behind him. People having real sex. Because it's every everything's <laughs> just going crazy. And so he gives the speech and he's just like, he's like, and I got my key card. I'll see you soon. And he, his sign off is he takes a big drag from a cigarette and flicks it at this uh, mail cart. And the mail cart actually has uh, the Reaper stacked on top of it. He just bursts into flames. And while he bursts the flames, everyone in the background just starts cheering that he's on fire. And then they, they run away. And then it kind of cuts back to them. And they're like, what do we do now? We have to take this card and get up to the next level. But while they're strategizing on how to get, because they, they want to lure the, the siren who has the other key card they need into an ambush. They don't want to go to her because she has too many people that lure to her on wherever she's at. So during this scene, it's actually a hilarious scene that the the writer didn't think people would notice because it was the reference was so so vague, and but he's like everywhere that I everywhere I showed this movie, somebody like the audience, like at least half the audience would laugh at this scene. He's like, I didn't expect it to hit that hard, but while they're sitting in these booths strategizing, um, there's this random extra in the background who just runs. And he goes, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, you're cool, fuck you. And that's just really, really super quick as he runs down this hallway. And it's a reference to, to Half-Baked. Right. You've seen the Half-Baked. Half, mm-hmm. Half-Baked yeah. reference? Oh, yeah. Is it really? It's, it's um, when Guillermo's character uh, quits his burger joint. He grabs the microphone. He's like, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, you're cool, fuck you, I quit. It, it, it's literally it's from half baked that's a, and, I, and that's where i know it from and i was and i was funny that he mentioned it and he's like yeah he's like i didn't think he's like he's like i actually thought about cutting that because i was like oh i don't think anyone's gonna laugh at that i know what that is but how many people nowadays remember half baked you know like the half baked reference in this movie you don't expect it yeah this movie though. exactly yeah, that was funny I mean, who references half baked <laughs> But that's literally what that is from dude's quitting scene from Half Baked. And it's literally a whole scene dedicated to it. We because it's just the two of them and this random guy, you just hear him 
fuck you, fuck you. And he's just running down the hallway. And when You're the cool. quote's over, <laughs> and when the quote's over, he's off, he's off screen. You don't even see the dude's face. You don't even see his face. Right? Uh, you just see the body running by and you see him pointing at people. And so that was super funny. And then after that, it kind of goes to kind of a cool scene where it's, I'm trying to, because it didn't, it, this scene wasn't originally written. It's uh, while they're, they get their plan and they go, hey, we're going to stick out these executive bathrooms right beside the elevator and try to, to ambush her. Because they were, they were lighting the scene and they didn't have their stand-ins. Uh, Samara and Steven Yun didn't have their stand-ins because they were doing something else. And they're like, hey, Joe, we'll we'll be, you know, we'll be ourselves and you guys can do the lighting for the scene and we'll just sit here with you and chit chat. Because, frankly, they were the only ones that kind of spoke English. They, you know, so it was just easier for them to kind of hang out mm-hmm. and just help one another just because they were only there for 25 days. The whole movie was shot in 25 days. 25 so they kind of yeah. they kind of attached themselves to each other pretty quickly and just kind of it was just easier to stay close. And so they're chit-chatting. And while they were chit-chatting, um, apparently uh, Samara and Steven were actually going back and forth about their favorite bands while they were just, you know, chilling. And it ended up being really good content. And uh, so that later that night, Joe went and took their, their brief interaction while they were doing the lighting and actually wrote it and expanded it to be that that band scene what are your top three favorite bands and everything because that actually was silent it was just them kind of like it wasn't as long as it was it was that scene is and they were just kind of yeah but it made them it showed character it gave some a little bit of character development and and into each one of them and everything allowed them to understand each other a little better it's actually a pretty fun scene and the fact that it was was, a fun scene it was done entirely improv based on a conversation they had while they were just waiting in between takes setting up lighting that's cool so i thought that's just that's a good director yeah and they had great chemistry too just natural chemistry the two of them uh-huh. eventually they just get tired of waiting they don't think she's going to come and so they go steven young's like we have to take the fight to the siren there's no no way around this and so what's happened is the reason she's not moving anywhere we kind of cut to her and she's communicating with towers and he won't let her come up well no she can't come up because they have the elevator staked out and he's like look i'll give you this i'll give you that and she's like no the key card is my only leverage and he's like well destroy the key card no i'm not gonna destroy the key card because if i destroy the key card what's going to keep them killing me and then he's like, he promised her this, this, and then he finally promised her something that she wants. And she's like, deal. And she a partner, didn't he? As a part, yeah, promises a prom- promises her a partner position. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Try saying that three times fast. <laughs> and so she's like, cool. She yells for her assistant Meg to hide the key card to where she doesn't know about it until she needs it. And so push comes to shove. Derek and uh, Derek and Melanie end up, you know, what do you call it? Like Mexican standoffy, West Western standoff. Right. Mexican standoff, yeah. And they meet her and her crew of cohorts, and this is actually kind of a cool thing. 
Um, apparently, Joe Lynch was a has been a huge fan of a band called Faith No More, and he's been wanting to make a music video for them for his entire movie career because it's one of his favorite bands of all time. And he would and he ends up he actually ended up getting to make a music video with them at one point, but the music video he wanted to make was for his favorite song of all time, but they already had a music video made for it. But because he had made a music video for them and he was on good terms with them, he asked them if he could use a song. And so during this next scene, this this massive fight scene that's about to unfold, he was like, okay, he's like, hey, Melanie, play track number three. <laughs> and she walks over there and she, this is a reference to their the previous dialogue was he was talking about how great Dave Matthews band was. And she's like, oh, please don't let it be Dave Matthews band. And she clicks play and it's a faith no more song. And the song is called motherfuckers. That's the name of the song. And that <laughs> happens to be Joe Lynch's favorite song. And this entire fight scene is his dedication to them. And it's basically, he just makes a music video for the song. Yeah. And immediately it's a choreographed fight of people being beaten to death with staples, scissors, uh, fire extinguishers and just yeah. being the crap beat out of people and screwdrivers being stabbed into people's necks. But then like the big final thing is like, so I had fire extinguisher. He, someone gets beat in the face with it and someone un- pulls the plug and sprays the fire extinguisher all over the place. And so you get a slow motion s- smoke silhouette of uh, Samar of Melanie and Derek just stomping on these people in slow motion and they get to walk slowly out of this fire extinguisher smoke like rock stars that whole fight scene was literally just an excuse so he can make a music video for the song motherfuckers yeah is literally (laughs) what that was (laughs) and i'm told uh he says they loved it when he showed them that scene he said they nothing uh faith no more absolutely loved it they thought it was hilarious and wonderful so they wipe out all of the sirens' lackeys. Yeah. And they they ended up, they get her, you know, trapped down in her room. And she's just like, all right, all right, Derek, what do you want? What do you want? She's like, he's like, I want the key card. And she's like, why don't, why don't I want to give it to you? And he's like, if you don't, I'm going to kill you. I'll find, I'll, I'll find the key card anyway. And she's like, oh, okay, cool. You, negotiations, you win, fine. I like being alive. You can go kill them. Maybe I'll get promoted with them all dead anyway you know she's she, she's out for her and her alone like she always has been it has been yeah right and so she yells for her assistant meg again she's like, meg and she's like bring me the key card and so meg comes in throws a hunk of burnt plastic on the table <laughs> and derek's like what is that and she's like that's the key card and she looks down and goes uh meg honey <laughs> why is there uh, some burnt plastic on my desk instead of a, uh, instead of a key card? Hmm? Where, where's it at? And then Meg basically tells her that she was contacted by the boss after the siren and the boss's conversation. And they told her to destroy the key card, no matter what, because they didn't trust Kara to handle it. And so she ended up destroying the card and her one chance of survival. And so they get to a screaming match. And then the whole the siren scene and the Meg fight, it, it, it's shown off screen. You don't see the fight. You see the aftermath 
of the siren dead. So what happened to Meg? I don't know. They don't really. I'm assuming the siren killed her. And then they killed her afterward because the, the Meg just disappears. You don't ever right. see Meg. They just again. show the siren laying there. And obviously, Melanie has her tongue. Yeah. But so I, I never know. saw Meg. Yeah. Maybe she killed Meg and turned on them and they killed her too. Maybe They don't ever say what actually happened. They just know that she's dead. Right. With her face on the, the treadmill slapping blood against the wall. <laughs> but I do want to talk about one thing. I think me and Drew both felt this during that scene because the exchange between uh steven young's character and carolyn's care derek cho and Kara powell between their exchange was in relatively professional and kind of lawyer talky they were talking about terms and conditions terms and conditions and during all this uh the director joe lynch told told samara to She's kind of have fun in the background, kind of improv and just have fun. And so she's just kind of like, she's giggling and like snapping and going, oh, yes, yes, mm-hmm. queen, talk, do your truth. Like she's just kind of being, just being crazy and wonky and funny. And so actually one kind of funny thing, but the, uh, the set designer for this, uh, this movie, they were having a hard time because it's the office windows. And so it's really hard for them to shield inside from outside the window. So you didn't know if it was daytime or nighttime outside. So what happened is uh, their set designer was actually watching Wolf of Wall Street, which is a movie starring Margot Robbie. This is why the idea come, came to mind. Is in all the office scenes in the Wolf of Wall Street, they use these particular blinds called Venusian blinds. There are these long strips of thick blinds that kind right. of can't see inside outside mm-hmm. and so the set designer was like hey if venusian blinds are good enough for scorsese they're good enough for our movie <laughs> so let's do that and so they ended up lining all three floors with the venusian blinds so they could film daytime nighttime and just have lighting and it saved them so much time and trying to do trick shots and this that and the other that, and that is one thing about this movie, too, that you don't realize until you kind of listen to that commentary and dig into it a little bit. But it truly is pretty much an independent movie. You know, they they cut a lot of corners and did a lot of things on shoestring, that shoestring budget. And uh, he talks about a lot of different situations uh, that, that they did do that on and uh, kind of pokes fun at himself. And uh, Stephen Young was like, no, no, you, I, I, I couldn't even notice it, you know, and but. But uh, he did do a good job. I mean, you don't even notice it watching the movie, but they did cut a lot of corners. That reminds me of talking about being almost indie or, or budget budgeting things. There's something, boy, you told me off the podcast about why they ended up filming in Serbia. Oh, uh, yeah, because they went to the, because the, the movie has like three different production companies. But I think their main one was called Circle of Confusion. That's the one they dealt with the most. And so they, they, they gave them the idea for the script and everything and they're like okay well you can film in america anywhere in america but you can only have 10 days anywhere you want in america but 10 days and they're like that's not enough and they're like what about 15 days in pittsburgh 17 in new orleans yeah 18 in vancouver and they're like yeah if you go to france we could probably give you 19 and they're like i don't know man that's that's not enough time to shoot this film 
And they're like, okay, well, we've already shot one film in Serbia. We shot Everly in Serbia. Mm-hmm. So let's, let, let's, let's, you know, let's see if they'll shoot, you know, let's go to Serbia. And they're like, well, we go to Serbia. We can do it for 25 days. And they're like, that's like a whole extra week. And you were giving it for, yeah, we'll go back to Serbia because we already have a working relationship with some of these people. Yeah, we'll take it. So they ended up like, but I'm like, uh, 25 days is still crazy to shoot how ridiculous this movie is. Mm-hmm. But some of these other companies were like, oh, yeah, we're only going to give you 16 days, 15. That's That would be insane. So it's, it's like those, those places didn't, didn't want them to say yes because they yeah. did not want to get that movie made. That's also a possibility those may have been like bigger real estate or something like that because the building they shot in was in belgrade it was actually a finished office building waiting to be rented out right and so they paid to use it so everything in the office they had to supply with like Did they filmed the movie trash that newly renovated office building <laughs> yeah like they, they had to take precautions of course yeah but yeah the clean they had they were they had to, anything they messed up they had to clean up and everything. And there was one part kind of later during uh that the boss almost broke one of the one of these giant glass windows with with a golf club. I, th- he, I thought for sure though you're gonna go through a window at some point. I don't, I don't think anyone ever does. No, because it didn't very end. I think I said then I say like I, I thought for sure Stephen. Steve's character was going to put him through one of these windows. Well, they couldn't. Yeah. <laughs> they had to pay for the yeah, window. They, they didn't want to pay. So now it makes sense because you're in this room. Anytime you're in a room and there's these big ass windows, you're like somebody's going through this window. Yeah. And you know, Derek, Derek's crazy. The the guys. This is so we, we skipped ahead, but like it's talking. Like, it makes sense why they didn't throw him through one of those windows because they would have had to pay for it. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. He, yeah, that's. I mean, you're you're sitting there. It's, it's the it's the office of the nine. It's just these. It's just all. It's just windows. You can see the entire room. I was like, man, guarantee Derek throws this guy through a window. <laughs> and it did not happen. Now, now I know why. So, you know, we got lost now. So you know, I, I was getting my, I was checking my notes. We're at the, basically with the Meg and uh, Meg disappears. There's no key card there. So they got to figure out a way to get another key card. So yeah, they end up uh, killing Kara. And then a quick question. There is a, a sex scene between them. Does that happen here or a little bit later? That happens right after that. Cause right she's that. holding that tongue and um, there's, they send that video to towers with the tongue and everything. And then it cuts to the two of them in, okay. in that. Yeah. Cause they're trying to figure out what to do. That's what it is. They're trying to figure out what to do. Now they didn't have sex, right? <laughs> no. Okay. Yeah. They didn't have sex, but <laughs> that we know of, <laughs> but there's a problem is uh, how do you, exp- it's weird how people, nitpick things is the production companies because they have a sex scene between Stephen Young and Samara Weaving have a sex scene with one another. I'm, you know, just so you're aware, but the production company and some of the test audiences were mad because they didn't take their clothes off. They're like, how do you have a sex scene? And people don't take their clothes off. And the, the Joe Lynch was like, because it, it wasn't like a sensual lovemaking. It was, primal sex it was fucking it was yeah he's like it was fucking <laughs> he's like they got to whatever part they needed to the fastest and they got and done yeah. like it wasn't sensual it was primal and they're like okay whatever and he's like and it's too late to go back and do reshoots and stuff like that but they wanted they, they wanted to see some skin 
basically is what they were wanting. Basically, all they were saying they wanted to see some boobies. I've been pretty much what I think it came down to. They they were mad that he could see boobies. And uh, in my opinion, this is the the weakest part of the movie. It's just none of this fit. It just seemed forced. I mean, that whole sex scene. Period. I, I don't know. I just I didn't like it between those two characters at that point. Um, yeah, it, it, it it was it just it was really a weak scene. To happen. It didn't. It and it, it wasn't done well. He probably should have just cut that scene, especially after. But again, the movie's only eighty six minutes. And then the the thing that leads up to that sex scene is um, Towers sends him a video back, or their own video of him urinating on his friend uh, Ewan, which uh, that made everybody mad because no one likes a golden shower. <laughs> <laughs> but I hate Steven Yeun's reaction to it. He's like, oh, yeah. starts again. The disease might play a part in it, you know. But he's oh, he's oversensitive. He's overstimulated. Yeah, I didn't that. like it. And then so then she comforts him, and it leads to that sex scene, which I don't. That whole ugh, it just seemed so forced. I hated I remember, that whole. I think I remember I thought the part when he the way the way he was reacting to his because that's because that's when he found out was that when he found out his friend was dead too. Well, he knew his friend was dead. But they did, fact, did he know before? Yeah, because he's died right in front of him at the very beginning of the movie. Okay. But they went and dug his corpse like back over, up. So I feel he, like he was over. Like I, I did see like when I was watching this, was kind of overreact to all the murder and quote unquote mayhem he's done. We done himself. But he didn't witnessed. care about any of those people, right? I guess, but made. I guess, but so you think but again? He, he we're did, trying he, to explain he, it away with the with with the, with the virus. Man. Yeah, hmm. he he did. He reacted to that situation like. He was finding out he died, like you said, Drew. But yeah, so the, yeah, he, he acted like yeah. he, died, he died right then or something. Yeah, I, it's um, just the whole thing should have been. Cry, he should have been furious that the dude went mad. Yeah, maybe should have been there. sad. Yeah, it was right. I don't. Know, it, it just, uh, I hated that whole scene, but in my opinion, that was by far the worst part of the movie. So yeah, sex scene. So that now Wait, they got to figure it out how to get a pretty, card. Go ahead. Pretty great joke. It was like. I, you know, after that, after they had sex or whatever, he, she's like, so what should we do now? And he's like, well, I think we should definitely exchange numbers. Uh, think <laughs> yeah. about getting a place together, maybe a dog. Like, he just starts naming off all, because I guess it's his id. He's like, oh, yeah, I really like you. Right. It, was all, it was all a joke. It was funny, yeah. He was making a joke. Like, And she's like, no, about the key card. And he goes, oh, yeah, well, I know someone we could go to and introduce, we introduce the uh, the IT guy for the entire building. One guy, <laughs> yeah, one guy run this 11 story law office. One guy does the IT for the entire thing. Enter was his name Roy or Ray? I think it was Roy. What was his name? But yeah, I mean, obviously played by Joe Lynch. Yeah, he was what played was by Joe Lynch, name? who I thought was hilarious because he had a pretty massive beard whilst filming, and so. As a joke, because they're like, what the reason they didn't cast somebody else for this role because they've already they were filming all the way out in Serbia. They could only bring, I think it was like three or four SAG actors, which is Screen Actors Guild uh actors, and they had already reached their limit, uh being Samara Weaving, Stephen Young, and the the boss, who is a gentleman named Stephen Brand. And so they couldn't fly someone else out there to, to be this, you know, one or two days worth of shooting role. And they're like, well, we could get someone local, but the jokes don't hit as well when it, it needs to be someone. Well, he also thinks that he, um, if they hire somebody from Serbia with an accent, 
that it would be kind of like too obvious of a joke. Like they'd be making fun of like, hello, you've reached tech support, like mm-hmm. make a foreign country. Right. And so that night he's like, I'll take the role guys. I'll, I'll do, it's just too, you know, and he'll, he'll get his AD to direct him in the scene and it'll be good. So he goes home, comes in the next day and has shaven his massive beard into these huge mutton chops and this giant mustache <laughs> that he called a poon broom. <laughs> was the term? Did he say that in the movie? No, okay, that so he used the commentary, term, commentary, in the commentary. He, broom, he uh, called his mustache his poon broom. <laughs> never heard that term before. Me either, but it is hilarious, and they couldn't stop <laughs> laughing at it in yeah. the commentaries. I would I would have worked poon broom into the movie. Oh God, I would have too. But I think maybe it's just something because they, they go like, "What the heck is a poon broom?" And they, and the commentary spent about ten minutes on the word poon broom <laughs> instead of yeah. the actual movie. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much all the commentary was was them just going on rows. It was a fun commentary. It was good, but it basically, uh, they kick down the door and they're like, "Listen here," and he's like, "What do you want?" What do you want? And they're like, you gonna listen? You gonna give us what we want, or we're gonna kill you? And he's just like, welcome to IT. What can I do for you? And he sits <laughs> down, and lays his his, his keyboard. He be affected by the who? Disease by the by the by the virus? Yeah, he was. He, he had a bloodshot red. He had a red eye, but he was just. I guess he was just. Well, he was beating the hell out of his keyboard when they came in. Oh well, yeah, that's just beating a keyboard. So that's 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 the worst he did, really. I guess so, because I mean, who's who's thinking about IT? No one's mad at the IT guy usually, unless something's not working. Well, I mean, they, I mean, he, his his deepest, darkest desires is to be mad at the computer. Basically, yeah, and <laughs> yelling at every single person that called him because it and does. This, he, this is go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, what were you gonna say? Now, I was just gonna say this is the part. Whenever I asked earlier about how they got the key cards, this is the part I was confused about because I had remembered Meg destroying that one, but I couldn't remember. This was all just kind of the way they got this key card was seemed kind of crazy to me how they get him to hack into again I, we're gonna go into it right now i guess but yeah. i couldn't remember how this whole thing worked because it, i think it's really weird because he hacks into one of the what's it's smith right yeah Smyth. Smyth. he hacks into smith he, yeah he copies her hard drive to him and he wipes her computer and then says he has he has the only copy of her hard drive yeah. he'll trade the hard drive for the card yeah, that's pretty much it, right? Yeah, that's that. Yeah. So they basically just talked this guy into doing that. Yeah, but I mean, he wanted to do it anyway because he well, hated. There the, was an earlier scene of her being. Was there earlier, or is that all that same scene? It was all near that same where scene. She's mean to him. She's super mean scene. to him. Yeah. Yeah, but she's super mean to him. And then when the whole exchange is over with, and he, he's like, "Hey, I think the virus has actually made her nicer." <laughs> <laughs> Because she's actually pretty level-headed almost the entire time. She yeah. is. Yeah. But I also think that has a lot to do with, like, she being in that boardroom and fear. Right. From towers. So I they make it up to her. Well, so they use, they use the IT guy to lure her down. Because she's she needs that. Because it has all of her work. All the records she has, it has everything on her on her work computer, including her porn, her porn apparently. In, it, well, including her feet porn. <laughs> yeah, she likes feet. Yeah, but yeah, the, it's like, it's like, it's like even her porn. Huh. Apparently, she has a thing for feet. But there's a reason that that was included. Oh, really? Because uh, of all no, because of all the actors 
everyone on set, everyone got along with her. Her and Joe did not get along at all. Oh, really? They clashed all the time. They, they, she, she was just kind of like, fine. She, he, they just, there wasn't a, they, they just no didn't. No chemistry, yeah. No, no chemistry at all, which is weird because she would have auditioned for the movie or something like there. She had to like. Yeah, why would she do the movie? She didn't like the director. But he said, like, of all the people on the film, she was the hands down the hardest to work with because they just didn't understand one another. They didn't like one another. And so uh, yeah. the foot thing, I don't know how he came up with it, but he's like, the foot thing was because maybe she hates feet or something in real life. And so he, it, that was a shot at her in real life for liking wow, feet porn. That, that's dirty. Yeah. <laughs> oh, apparently she's got a thing for, that was just, that was him just being petty. Yeah, it was cool. Kind of giving into his id, which is kind of funny <laughs> for the movie. But yeah, it was, it was just him getting back at her for being a bitch to him. I guess that's funny. I mean, it was a very transparent comment commentary. It was pretty. It was great. Oh yeah, it was one of the better ones I've heard in a while. But then we kind of we get a meeting set up between this Irene Smythe. She's one of the the nine who sit at the top of the tower at the top of the law firm, and she they set up a meeting. Uh, between it's her and she takes bull with her as as backup and so they get down there they have this exchange like we want the key card for the hard drive and they want you to sign this um this sheet of paper for melanie for melanie that lets her house not be foreclosed on it extends the payments they need because irene smythe is the all the way back to begin the movie she's the lady who originally signed the deed to the for them to start being foreclosed on to begin with Irene goes, I could sign this, but then plead uh, it's temporary insanity and have it thrown out of all courts. No one hold me to it. Uh, so what power do you have over me now? I'm, what are you going to do? This is stupid. And so Melanie gets super mad and just, just starts destroying the, the hard drive that has all of her computer stuff on it with the claw hammer. Claw tooth hammer just beats the ever-living shit out of it. So as she destroys it, she freaks out. And at this exact same time, while they're going at it, Bull has, uh, Stephen Young has started to take on Bull outside in another room. Mm-hmm. Bull now, attacking, I didn't yeah. really explain it earlier. I said, you know, Bull's a big dude. So Stephen Young's like, like average guy. He's like five, six, five, seven. Five nothing, you know? yeah. He's a, you know, he's an average looking gentleman. Now Bull's probably about six, three, 200 and something pounds of pure muscle. And <laughs> so he just starts kind of throwing Steven Yearn around, <laughs> pulls a gun out, and Steven Yearn starts crying like, oh, no, I'm going to die. And the bull guy pop, 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 empties the clip, but in the opposite direction. And he looks back at and Steven and Derek looks back at Bull and it's like, what? And he goes, bullets are for cowards. And then yeah. he pulls out a pair of brass knuckles. Doesn't seem to say something right there. He's like, like, oh, oh God. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> he would have rather just been shot. <laughs> I think it's just, just, kicked. just starts being thrown around this. Uh, I think it's like the daycare room for yeah, people like, who need yeah, an mm-hmm. office daycare. He starts being thrown around this big old room. Now, this is a, a pretty funny scene. So apparently during the filming, according to the commentary, apparently Joe Lynch had gotten sick with was something while they were filming so to keep himself from infecting people he had locked himself in a room while he recorded this fight scene between steven and bull from another room 
And so there's a part where Bull picks up Derek and he's, he's going to slam him down, but he's supposed to pick him up and it's supposed to stop. And then it was kind of have like have him get dropped or kind of sl- gently tossed to make it. He's going to fall on like this beanbag chair, fluffy little kid's toy. Now, at the start of the movie, the, the actor playing Bull hadn't done any sort of fight training. So he was just kind of winging it. And now by this point, they'd had him going over with the fight choreographer because they wanted this. This was going to be a more intimate one on one scene. They needed to be done better than just kind of winging it. And so he took to it kind of liked it a little too much and got a little overzealous. (laughs) And so he picks up Steven and he, no one says cut, hold, no one gives him the signal to not hold on. And so he picks up Steven and just slams him down on this thing. And apparently he hits the ground so hard. He like, you don't break anything, but he, whatever he hit, I think it was like a beanbag chair, hit his body, but his head snapped back and hit the floor. Mm. And he gets up yelling at joe but unbeknownst to them joe was sick and had passed out in the other room (laughs) because he was sick he had passed out and so he he was the one who was supposed to say cut and not tell bull to throw (laughs) steven and so he was literally passed out in the other room and steven he says like that was the only time steven had ever got mad at me on set. He came rushing to the door going, what the fuck is your problem? What the hell was that? And he was like, oh, oh, I'm, oh, I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he, I don't know. He, I see Lily just passed out and no clue mm-hmm. what happened. Another great part of the commentary. That, that was pretty entertaining. It was pretty yeah, I mean, Steven, Steven, obviously let him have it. They, they pretty much go into detail on that, and Joe takes responsibility for it and felt terrible. Oh, yeah. yeah. I wonder why the big guy would have – you'd think he would have known, hey, don't slam the lead actor on the ground. You would think he would have I – mean, Again, he, was, he just he didn't have much uh, experience Serbia. in it. Yeah. yeah maybe, yeah. That's, that's just, you, they, do a little, they do things a little different over in Serbia. Yeah, he was probably just trying to do a good job, you know, like just like the telephone game thing. is like, I was doing what I was supposed to do, right? Uh, and you you wanted to talk about this scene a second ago about about the uh, the pepper spray coming back into play. Yeah, so he he basically it's almost like he's had it. Well, Stephen stabs him in the arm with that that screwdriver. Or oh whatever. God, yeah, that scene was pretty. And funny. it's just kind of stuck in his arm and almost just annoying Bull, you know. So at that point, Bull reaches into his pocket and pulls out that pepper spray and is trying to position it in Stephen's eyes and. Uh, what he, he says something like, I'm going to blind you or I want to burn your eyes out empty or something. This, I mean, yeah, it's like, I'm going to empty this in your eyelids or something. Yeah, so he, he basically ends up getting it right into his mouth. And so Stephen takes it onto his mouth and spits it right up into Bull's eyes and blinds him and then grabs that screwdriver out of him and stabs him in the neck with it or inside of the head, I guess, right? I think he stabs him like right in the side of the skull, yeah. Yeah, so it kills Bull. Then... He runs out and he can't breathe or anything because he has a pepper you, spray in his mouth. You ever been pepper sprayed? Well, that's what I was going to say. I mean, would that is that all it would do to you? It seemed like you would have killed him right off the bat. Oh no, pepper. I mean, it it won't. It, I mean, if you if you inhale it, which I mean, he just he sprayed his... a buttload of it into his. Oh yeah, mouth. I mean, he, he didn't swallow any of it. He well, he may have swallowed it, but he didn't like inhale it. He just yeah. held it in his mouth and spit it back out. Yeah, uh, pepper spray sucks. Heck I've been yeah. pepper sprayed. Yeah, yeah. I, I like how uh, he runs to that uh, 
that water cooler and he's trying to he can't get enough out of the spigot oh, so he yeah. stabs it <laughs> i love that i <laughs> love that part now if, being perforate if you can flush it fast enough it it, it will decrease the burn significantly it's still going to burn because it's it is what it is depending on what the pepper spray is made out of too but oh yeah i mean steven did a good job because I, I, I felt like i got pepper sprayed you know with the way he reacted on that and i couldn't wait to get some water in my mouth to get it rinsed out. I, I felt it. I, I could feel exactly what he was going through on that. And I think uh, there's a part, because I, I think they had him, I think they talked about it in the commentary, because he comes busting out of that out of that room, and he, I guess he's looking for the water cooler that he has to, to flush his face. I guess because he's doing the, um, the, the acting or whatever, he's closing his eyes, opening it so he's not seeing. He runs into the wall. And mm. bounces off the wall and spins around, and hits the ground. I don't think that was on purpose. I think he did that by accident. Yeah, because he was legitimately pretending like he couldn't see. I don't know if he ran into the wall on purpose or he chose to run into the wall, and make it look, look as real as it uh, could, right? And then spin around, hit the ground. It looked. I think I mentioned in the commentary or something because it didn't look planned. Yeah, it looked. You could tell sometimes people were running the stuff or drop something or yeah, some things happen. So Derek makes it back in there to Smythe and Melanie and. Basically, it makes it look like Derek is selling uh, Melanie out, but he's obviously not. Smythe ties her up, but Derek rigs her her ropes or whatever her ties so she can get her hands out. And um, I'm not entirely sure what he rigs, because because yeah, like he he betrays her. There's a little scene. Obviously, know, there's she, a plan. You know, what I'm saying he's not actually betraying her. He pseudo betrays her and he punches her in the back of the head and they tie her up. So he 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 ties her up, and then he spins. Uh, Irene Smythe spins the chair around to check all of his knots and everything to make sure that she's secured. And when you know she gives him the key code and puts in the access code so he can go up, and all he shows her is a uh, what do you call that? A wing nut. Right. Yeah, wing nut. Yeah. And I'm like, what did he unscrew? Like. What was unscrewed with that one piece that yeah. was allowed her? That was I was like, I, I mean, I get it, but I don't get it. What mm-hmm. one wing nut could cause someone to be able to break free? Unless it was like one of the arms or something. Maybe Meg came in and, and did something. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I mean, that was one of the parts. Like again, suspension of disbelief, cool, right? Whatever. But like watching it again, I was just like. Right. Yeah. I mean, and that's why I kind of generalized it because I wasn't sure exactly what he did, but he obviously did something where she could get out of her restraints. Oh, and she beats the bloody hell out of Irene Smythe. <laughs> it's a, it's a rude awakening. With a hammer. Oh yeah. And so we finally get to the top floor. Oh, yeah, exactly. Our final. It's like a video game. Towers basically is, I mean, I don't know how, how much we want to go into detail, but basically Towers is, is at a loss now. He's, he realizes he's been beat, so he, he basically offers Derek – sorry, he offers him a full partnership. Uh, Derek refuses. Then he – it kind of goes into another war in here where people go after Derek in here, and he fends them off, and then – Gets to the we get to our, the one on one fight that we've finally been waiting for with uh Derek versus Towers, Towers with uh his golf club, right? 
Oh yeah, and, <laughs> those, and Derek has a wrench, my, and mine Tower bigger. says mine's bigger. <laughs> there's mine's a lot always of bigger. <laughs> mine's always bigger. Yeah, so I, I mean, in my opinion, I mean this this it, it kind of bothered me. It's like they do all this, and this, this scene seemed pretty quick, you know. And I thought thought it could have been better, and uh, the whole uh, we talked about the stairs earlier, where it was a three floor building, but they made it look like eleven floors. And we talked about that open staircase. That's the, again, this comes into play here, where Derek kind of punches him, and he just falls back and and falls straight down that between between all the staircases there. Towers does. Um, I don't know. What did you feel about that? Did you feel like that ending was kind of rushed or? I mean, I that did, fight scene between them was just—it was just so fast. Yes, it was, but it kind of needed to be, I well, guess. They spent—they spent a lot more time on all the other, all the other major. Like he spent—I feel like he spent more time with the Reaper. He spent more time with the Siren. Spent more time with Smythe. Well, he and didn't even fight and, the Siren. He fought. Well, her, he fought whatever. Her but the, but the, her whole scene where she gets killed is much longer. Yeah, and you get like I said, you get the towers, and the scenes just. And the weird thing is with, with Smythe, Smythe wasn't even his villain. Smythe was Melanie's villain. Yeah. And she got all the closure. I mean, he gets closure, but it, it, it does feel rushed when it comes to the fight scene. Is it, you think it anything to do with maybe, because you do get a lot of scenes with a, a lot of cutbacks, two towers in the, in the, up there on the top of the raging against other, raging against the videos and stuff like that. Do you think, yeah. do you think that that counts towards the overall time spent with that like particular their, like their battle? of wits goes back and forth. I call it a battle of wits, but I mean, ish, because they weren't physically fighting. So I had the best thing is brawn or mm-hmm. uh, brains, but uh, this has probably one thing towers uses probably my favorite weapons in the entire movie. Cause stare, you know, stereotypes go is a high up lawyer. He is also a massive, massive, massive Coke fiend. <laughs> and during this fight they're you know, they're battling and, Derek breaks his golf club and he's kind of getting beat up. And so he does the only thing he can do is being cheating and underhandy as lawyers are. He reaches into his pocket and literally throws a handful of Coke right into Steven's face. Yeah. And he, he's blinded by the Coke dust and he can't see. And then he hollers at one of the people, one of the other eight members of the board in the room. He's like, give me the driver. <laughs> no, 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 not the dine. Give me the five. The five will work better in this situation. And they, the fact that he's fully aware of what golf club works best for beating someone to death with. Right. And, you know, I mean, maybe the saying that it was too short was the wrong way to say because the scene was like three minutes long, which is, I guess, a decent amount of length. But it's just on the substance, I guess, it, like all the other ones, like we were talking about the the hammer, you know, and then the and the saw and just the different ways everybody else died. It was kind of a, you know, and going back to the Friday 13th movies, you know what I'm saying? They're all about the kills, you know, how original the kills are. And that's, that's what makes those movies fun. And I just felt like that kill was kind of generic with between him and towers. I wish yeah, that they get been. into a fight and then well, he, it does the, um, it, it, it's kind of, they mentioned it earlier, earlier in the movie, but it does like the, uh, the Roman Coliseum of the turning of the thumb. He's right. like, vote. Vote now! He's yelling at the. Well, they, they do a, like a thumb across the neck thing. Yeah, turning it. The, yeah, uh, th- there's a whole part I kind of missed about that. That it, it's significant here, and he has like, "Oh, you vote," and they all vote. You know, 
kill him, thumb across the throat. And he, and he's like, Oh, you're never have the ball. Bad guys always make this mistake when they're in the, they think they have the power. They're like, you're a pansy. You ain't got the balls. And when all this is over, I'm going to piss on your corpse too. And that's, that's the last thing he should have said, because of course that fills him with even more right. righteous rage, and he gives him the uppercut to end all uppercuts, where he goes flying over the railing yeah. and falls and the, just the, falls. The whole coke thing too. Whenever you talked about him throwing that coke in his face, that reminded me of something else I wanted to mention. I thought it was maybe the funniest scene in the movie where he's on the uh, towers is on the video camp, the video, you know conference oh, or whatever with the with cdc, the CDC. <laughs> he, he does that like, she goes that. she goes what, what was are you doing <laughs> and he's like i have uh i have allergies <laughs> or something it's like some bc powder or something he's uh, snorting. Was, she goes, she goes, i legit yeah, laughed what, out loud on that part. Too. what are you like, doing well yeah what are you doing <laughs> because they explained earlier that cocaine and caffeine only exacerbates, only make the, the yeah, red eye worse. worse for people. And he's been snorting coke right? almost as soon as he... I mean, it's, it's the whole movie. And the fact, the fact he had a pocket full of it to use as a weapon was the right. greatest thing ever. Like an 80s wrestling match throwing oh, the powder yeah. in their eyes. And, and before the fight starts, he puts his hand in his pocket, pulls out a huge wad and just slaps it in his own face. And his whole like face is just has a huge white handprint where he snorts it all. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. So at this point, uh, Towers is gone. Derek uh, basically gets with the with the nine, which is the eight. Now he says the nines now become the eight since Towers died, and um, he gets Melanie's alone taken care of, or, or I guess he he gets the they give him the job. He accepts. They give him Towers' position, mm-hmm. and he accepts it just long enough to. S- Sign Melanie's document. Then he says, "I quit." <laughs> so, again, uh, all happy, happy. Everybody lives happily ever after. But uh, what does he say? What's that line? I like that line that he says. Uh, paint your take, own. That one. Yeah, paint your own path or something like that. Yeah, He's like, paint cool. your own path, whether it's in love, career, or it's actually a really good quote. I can't remember what he says. It's paint your own path. Whether it be in career, life, life, or life, yeah, yeah, I should have written that down. Yeah, that was because yeah, he does. That is a really good quote. I still, I, I like that quote, and I still like that other one. They, uh, no one raindrop thinks it caused the flood. Yeah, that's a really good saying too. So from the, this within this whole part, it's uh, intercut with him. Uh, we we didn't even mention like him painting. You know, that was a big part of yeah. the movie. Um, but it, that whole scene is kind of intercut with him painting. And the paint they, scenes are kind of intermittent epilogue, but you don't know that until about this point. Yeah. Well, they show, you know, different scenes in the movie, they'll cut and show him painting that scene. So that was one thing that I, I think you had a problem with. I can't remember which movie we did, but they showed something in the movie and it kind of showed you what the ending was, you know, uh, kind of foreshadowed what the ending was and every time they showed him painting it, like he'd be painting like we talked about that Mexican standoff he yeah. painted the the, yeah. the siren and her crew you know so the right then you know you know you're like well I guess Derek lives if he's painting about this whole thing 
So that kind of bothered me. You know, I mean, obviously, I guess it's not too much suspense, but I would have rather not known, like, off the bat, like, you know, well, we know Derek makes it through this. Because he's the only ones that were okay, sort of, were like the Reaper, because it made sense, because it was just kind of a vague background. And instead of his cane, it was the scythe, it was symbolic. Right. And then for the siren, the tongue, it could still be have been considered symbolic, like it's something he had painted in the past because you find out he'd been painting earlier in the movie to try to help himself de-stress from all his crazy work thing but then some of the other paintings were like oh this could not have been painted prior so i can see why there could have been uh, it's a little spoilery yeah but speaking about those paintings you know no one knows where they're at like they 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 had they had they hired this the set painter the set designer painted like nine or 13 pieces that they used throughout the entire movie. And when everything was said and done, they couldn't find them. They didn't because they wanted, he wanted to give them out to everybody that everyone picked their favorite piece of art and take it home with them. But they did no idea where it was at. They mentioned that in the commentary that they Mm -hmm. couldn't find the artwork. They don't know what happened to it. Yeah. And I'm like, that sucks. Somebody straight stole that stuff. Someone straight stole that stuff. Oh yeah. And it just it made me real sad to I was like, oh, because that would be really cool to to know just imagine being in, you know, being in the movie and knowing you one of those pieces are because they were original. They only made one for each one of those. And it was just it, it was sad to know that they're just kind of gone. Yeah. Somewhere yep. in Serbia. Somewhere in Serbia. I'm trying to see if I have anything else I yeah. wanted to mention that painting. I had that note to talk about that. Well, uh, one thing about that is the that all the painting scenes was the only location change they had to do the entire time. Right. Was for an afternoon they rented out a, a, a like a local uh, painting studio for students or whatever, and they just whoever was there that day they're like, hey, we're gonna we want to film in here. Is it okay? And they're like, yeah, sure, just sign these papers. So they they literally just rented an afternoon. Everyone who was in there were people who was already assigned for the class that day anyway and so they just kept that was the only time they changed set because everything else was in that three-story building do you do you want to mention um belco or yeah i did want to game real quick i did want to talk about that now this is a genre that like i really loved mayhem and there's a few other movies of this similar style but i don't know too many they're like I don't know what to call it. Like I said earlier, I think it's like white collar horror or office space thriller. The only ones I can come off off the top of my head is there's mayhem. Then there is the Belco experiment, which in my opinion, isn't as good as this. And then there's one that's more of an action comedy called uh, operation Endgame, and that's got a whole bunch of comedians like rob corduroy zach galifianakis and stuff like that mm. and then i have another one in mind i haven't seen it but i want to watch it and it's called blood sucking bastards and that stars um i don't think you'll know him but his name's fran kranz me and drew know him because he's familiar with uh he works with joss whedon he was topher in dollhouse yeah, yeah i know Fran Kranz. and mando Pedro Pascal. Pedro's in there, mm-hmm. and apparently it's a it's it's an office. Oh, thing. I know Fran Kranz. You, you recognize his face. He's been in a couple of things. He's kind of well, he's, he's in that he's cabin in the woods. Cabin. Yeah, he's in yes, he he's in cabin in the woods. Movie, so, yeah. and so it's a 
it's a, it's an office thing, but it's a it's a late night people working like late night in the office, and some vampires come to visit the office. That's 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 a, that's a little different. I think, it's, I think it's still white collar yeah. in an office. It like doesn't the, leave the office. I feel like Mayhem, Belco, and then maybe Operation Endgame have the most in common. But Mayhem was what I thought Belco was going to be. It's like Belco for me would be probably a two because it wasn't. It just I won't ever watch that movie again. I watched it one time expecting something else, and it wasn't. And I think I think I bought the movie because like I'm like because I love James Gunn. I was like I'm gonna love this movie. We watched it and I sold it the following weekend. Hmm. Yeah, that'll be the memories I don't watch is because James Gunn. Because it, it wasn't. It just I don't know. Like go watch it. It's not. I mean, decide for yourself. But it's not. It's not the best James Gunn thing. If I'm flipping around one night and it's on TV, I'll definitely watch it. I won't um, seek it out, though. Do you have anything you want to add? Because I only have, like, one other little... No, go ahead. That the the, scenes, Literally, the bit. painting stuff was my last thing that on my notes that I had. Everything else I'll uh, save for the final thoughts. So, uh, one last little bit. Is the entire film, the entire movie was shot on a new type of camera. It was a... Uh, it was called the Ronin One, and it was a uh, they called it a gimbal device, which made it a a chest mounted camera that kind of had its own sort of balancing thing so they could move freely and they weren't bound by tracks or by having to hand carry massive, you know, 80 pound cameras. They could just have this thing strapped to their chest and it had its own like shocks and so they could move around much more freely. The only problem is apparently because they were the first model and they were the ones kind of they said they were the ones testing the 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 ronin one so apparently the ones they had were weren't put together 100 percent perfectly so they were they were like two degrees off kilter so the entire movie had to be shot in wide frame once once they figured out what was wrong because they didn't have time to get new cameras so they shot the entire thing in widescreen so when it came time to editing, they could zoom in and auto-correct the rotation <laughs> mm. <laughs> so, that, so that they didn't have to worry about going back and reshooting it and getting a whole new camera. They just kind of shot it off kilter, zoomed in, and straightened right. up in, in uh, pro. I just thought that was pretty funny. Hmm. So Those, gim- uh, those gimbals are awesome. Yeah, I've seen them in other – they, they talked about it. One of the things that people talked about in the movie of some of the interviews is they said it was dreamlike. Because the way the camera flowed so smoothly across, it, it didn't feel like you were tethered to one spot. The camera was always able to move and go freely around. It wasn't like on it. You can see, you can see sometimes like it's on a track or you can feel it. And this, they called it freeing the camera. The camera felt very free and yeah, in a dreamlike state, which kind of fit the movie with the id and the ridiculousness of everything. I think I'm ready to kind of get down to it and wrap up. Final thoughts and reviews. Mm-hmm. Ready to go first? Yes, sir. So, the main thing I, I loved about this movie was Steven and Samara. I, I we talked about that at the beginning. I watch anything he's in. I'm a huge fan of his. I really like her. Um, I really think she's kind of become the modern day scream queen. So, and again, their chemistry was great. The story is just pretty basic and bland. Uh, the characters in this movie, other than those two, were just, in my opinion, really stereotypical 
two-dimensional, over-the-top, kind of cartoonish. So I couldn't really get into a lot of the characters, you know, other, other than those two. I don't really but, think you were supposed to. Well, but I mean, whenever I'm watching something like this, I really want to either really hate somebody or really, really like somebody. And it was hard for me to, like, I don't know, that I didn't really hate the that towers as much as I should have. I don't know if it was the actor or what, but I don't know that, that kind of affected me and it kind of dropped that, that down a little bit. And then again, this, the story is we've kind of talked about it a little bit ago with uh, the, the virus movie. And it's just like, you've seen that this thing's been done a thousand times, you know, and uh, I mentioned you guys earlier that I, I binged squid game and the squid games on netflix i've literally watched all nine episodes in barely over 24 hours i was so into it and it truly is probably one of the best things i've seen in the last five years at least um i just i loved it and squid games if you don't know it's kind of a runoff of those like survival games genre movie like we were talking about with the kind of was kicked off with battle royale you know back in 2000 and then hunger games and but it's just kind of another variation of that and um so it goes to show you that when a genre's kind of been out and, and been done over and over something can come out and be great and maybe the best one out of all of them in my opinion and but this you know it's just it didn't add anything to, to this genre to me. It, it just, it was just really basic. I don't think it gave me anything more than, than uh, you know, any of these other, what, what you kind of call it white collar, but I mean, I'll just say it as a, as a, um, a virus, you know, the, the virus genre movie where uh, they kind of take over, but I love the video game quality to it. Like we talked about the way that, that they made it. It was fun had a, a few laughs and like we said earlier but again nothing new nothing nothing that really stood out I, I talk about music every week the music I was I was you this week Blake I didn't even notice the music <laughs> yeah I mean the, that was the one last thing was the music it I it, it kind of had that video gaming quality that sense to it but again it was just pretty generic and bland mm-hmm. love the faith no more that I love that 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 whole thing that he did with that but uh i I guess with this movie i'm back to uh the middle again man (laughs) three raindrops for the quote that we keep talking about three raindrops out of ten i mean out of five (laughs) sorry (laughs) so three raindrops out of five yeah that's not mean it's not bad no it's i mean again i enjoyed the movie it's just didn't give me anything extra and it wasn't it wasn't bad by any means it's definitely not a two no and that's why i keep getting stuck in these threes i can't kick it up to a four because again it's just i feel like i've seen this movie a thousand times it didn't give me anything anything extra but uh it's definitely not a two um so you just spoke about i meant to mention it earlier but as a as a closing thought you mentioned the music was kind of bah humbuggy so apparently they had the guy who did the music was a last minute replacement for the guy who they originally had to do the music. The <laughs> original person to who's going to do the music was uh, Bear McQuarrie. Good old. Bear oh, yeah, McQuarrie. that's right. Yeah, they really? did mention that he was commentary. supposed to be doing the music for it. But they said that he had to pull out because he agreed to do their music. But he had five. He was literally doing the score for five other movies at the exact same time. <sighs> 
he's hot right now. So that's and so he had to be like, sorry, guys, I got to – I got to do – these ones came first. And I'm sure they're probably paying him more, no offense to the budget for this movie. And so he had to – you know, he said yes. And then when it came time to do it, he was like, I don't have – I got – I'm sorry, guys, I can't do it. And, you know, they understood. But so they had to bring in a guy – a second, I don't want to say a second-hand guy, but someone else after the movie was done to score it. And this that guy's name is Steve Moore. And I obviously looked him up. And one other movie that he did was that VFW. I can't remember if you guys watched that or not. Oh, the VFW? The yeah. veteran. He did the, the movie music for well, that. We watched Stephen that. Lang. And yeah, we watched it. So yeah. that, that was actually a pretty good movie, too. That was, it was a good it, movie. Again, that was similar to this. It was silly. You knew what the, the premise was within five minutes, and it just – that, that was what you were getting with that movie. But you know what? I love the characters in that movie. The, yeah, there was a little one of them. You say about characters, I think, and, and this says something to the actors for this. If this movie wasn't Stephen Young and Samara Weaving, it might not have even been anywhere near as watchable as it was. <laughs> that is exactly. True. That, that, and that's what I'm saying. They were the, the two best things about the movie. But Without that, them, it probably would have been a one or two. But that's actor, not character. I'll say, but he yeah. wants characters, and, and maybe, maybe I mean anybody could have done these particular characters. I mean, oh, yeah. it's, it's just you know, uh, it's only as good as it. It's only as good as it is because of the actor quality that is in the movie. Well, at least those two. I mean, not nobody's really bad in the movie, but I'm saying they're the, you know, they two strong leads. You know. Oh yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> um, like you said, like it's it's uh, I was about to say Glenn. It's Stephen Yun. <laughs> it's Stephen Yun, Samara Weaving. Absolutely fantastic. I love them and everything I've seen them in so far, and I'll continue to watch them. Well, listen to Steven more because I've, I've, I've heard him do a lot of voice work. And like I said, I love Samara. I, I, I definitely will watch anything she's been in. He said, you, you hit on a lot of the points. There's, there's not a lot of character. There's not a lot of story, but it, the movie doesn't try to pretend to be something it's not. The movie literally gives you, you get a, like a five minute intro to understand everything and then the first 20 minutes of the movie is letting you know, this is the good guy. Uh, these are the bad guys. Go. And then you get the next hour of just fun murder. But like they could have been more creative. Like They didn't use, like I don't know, no one got beat to death with the shredder. Someone didn't get their hands. Like, exactly. Like, or like take a, what do you call those? Like, like a paper cutter. Like the things that you cut off the edges when you're doing like someone could have that because somebody does that in, in Operation Endgame. D- does both. Someone beat someone to death, but they turn the, they turn a paper shredder on and then beat somebody's face with it as the blood shoots up backwards because they have it on reverse. Oh, really? Exactly. I don't remember that in Operation Endgame. Oh, I yeah. That. I remember the breaking the blade off of a paper cutter. Thing. Yeah. But then but no one beat someone to death with like it put their head inside the copier and slammed like they could have been a little more office environment yeah, with their they kill. Might not have been going for that though. I know, but they could have been because we no, talked I about completely he, agree with you. He arms himself with a bunch of tools, some wrenches, some screwdrivers, just he lines a tool belt he gets down in the basement before he breaks out. Like, they could have strangled somebody with a phone for Christ's sakes, but that didn't even happen. <laughs> right. <laughs> Like it, it was all just beating somebody to death with the screwdriver or the nail gun or the, the saw they use one time because it was a dangerous thing to use. You know why they only used it once? Because it was a real saw and it was too dangerous to use. But they just could have had they could have more fun with the kills. Yeah, for sure. I think I, I loved all the like I said I love all the acting. The acting was fine. And uh for me too, uh it's it's gonna fall in the middle. I'm gonna give it uh 
three fistfuls of Coke <laughs> out of five. Good. I like that. Three fistfuls of Coke out of five. I'm surprised you gave it three. I thought you were going four. No, I mean, because it's, it is, it's, I think maybe, I bet he would have gave it a four on the first watch, probably. But then having the depicting it and then like just some of the stuff, like they're expecting you not to listen with the, the sniffers and the, the not creative enough with the kills. And you're just kind of like, come on, man. You mean, and I get it. They couldn't throw it. Like, no one got thrown out a window or through a window. I get it. Cause they had the budget and everything, but they could have filmed something later and edited it in afterwards. They could have filmed it back at, I'm sure they did the best they could. Anyway, immediately they only had 25 days to shoot this in a foreign country. Yeah. With, you know, so like they did the absolute best they could, I'm sure. So I'm just being a dick for nitpicking it and tearing it apart because it is a fun yeah, film. For sure. I absolutely adore it. it. Fun. I own it. I'm proud to own it. I'm not going to get rid of it. But, eh, you know, it's a three. It's a, it's a solid three. It is a pimping be good great time. for fans of Walking Dead to see. Oh, yeah. Stephen Young do something completely different than his. Oh, yeah. Because he's, yeah, he is. This is far from Glenn. Yeah, this mm-hmm. is very far from Glenn. So yeah. So uh, what do you got for us, uh, uh, Steve? <laughs> Stuff. What were you gonna say? Well, my brain broke because we were just talking about Stephen Young and that other character, Stephen Brandon. I'm about to talk to Steve Wedding over here. My brain was like getting all the Steves in line. My brain was stuttering on the amount of Steves that were trying to come I out think, of my mouth. I think it's getting late. I I'm yeah. trying to give. 10 stars over here earlier. Um, <laughs> but uh, so, yeah, like you, I have quite a few movies that I'd, I'd like to do on here. Just like you were talking about earlier, trying to choose between Mayhem and Guns Akimbo. But I've really been trying to mix it up. Uh, I know that we wanted to kind of make that a point of emphasis at the beginning of this we, podcast. I think we've been pretty good about it. We haven't yeah, done yeah. the same type For of movie back to back. Yeah, definitely. So I really wanted to try to mix it up this time and do something. I wanted to do a movie that neither of us had seen. I know I have never seen this movie and I've always wanted to see it. And again, maybe you've seen this. Maybe you'll surprise me and you say you've seen this, but I'm going all the way back to 1944. Oh God. (laughs) Okay. A movie called Double Indemnity. Have you ever heard of that? I don't even know what that second word is. You just said. (laughs) In, Double indip- indemnity. Yeah, indemnity? You'll have, you'll have, is that a you'll, have, you'll have to text that to us. Yeah, what does that mean? What does indemnity mean? This is awesome. <laughs> so, do you know who Billy Wilder is? The no. director? He directed like Some Like It Hot. And... Okay, I know. Okay, I've, I think I've seen, I've never actually seen it all the way through, but I know Some Like It Hot. That's uh, Monroe, right? Yeah, and Jack Lemon and uh, yeah. Tony, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis's dad. So he directed it. It's classic. I mean, you know, it's on everybody's list of best movies of all time. I've never seen it. I've always wanted to. So good. I'm glad you hadn't seen it. I think it'd be neat for us both to kind of watch something we've never seen, especially something like this. But, you know, the term film noir. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So that's what this is. This, I mean, pretty much kicked off that genre. This movie gets a lot. You know, a lot of movies back then were, were like that, you know um they they were kind of in that in that class but they weren't called film noir then they were just called every day nowadays we refer to it as noir because stuff like that doesn't actually happen right 
So if you want, you, you ask what indemnity means, I'll give you the, the true definition is security or protection against a loss or other financial burden. I read this, I found, I found it, I, I typed in double on the uh, Just Watch app. It was the first thing to come up. Okay, he says it's, a, it's considered a classic. Yeah. Yeah, Fred, Fred McMurray. I don't know if you ever heard the show My Three Sons, but he's mainly known for that. He's the main star of this. Barbara Stanwyck, another huge movie star from back then. Um, again, I've never seen it. I'm super excited to watch it and kind of dissect it together. I hope I think you it'll be watch neat. it and you're like, this movie sucks. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> what this possible, is for, right? Yeah. yeah. I'll be surprised uh, if I see like the good thing about I, this is. I've learned, especially as I've I've gotten older, I don't judge movies by, oh, like, oh, it's a movie from the 50s or it's a movie from the 40s. Because good acting knows no bounds. Yeah. Good acting. We said, we, said, we said it before, yeah. 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 That's one it reiterated again, is good acting is timeless, period. Yeah. So, yeah, but you have to, you definitely have to text that to us. Or, I got it. Oh, I, got it. I, got, got, I got it. I found it. Is it on Just Watch or we have to buy it? We'll have to buy it or just rent it, rent it on Amazon. I'm, yeah, that's what, I'm going to get it off of Amazon. Yeah, I mean. Are you excited for it then? I am excited. Like I said, I've never seen it. And I've always wanted to see it. It's a good excuse to, uh, yeah. to watch this. All right, that, yeah, it's fine. It's cool. That it's something you, you've never seen either. So that's always fun. Kind of 8.3 on IMDb. That's not 8.3 on IMDb. That's not bad. It's pretty good. Yeah, so what do you think about that? Uh, it's a shocker. So uh, that's for sure. What's least... the runtime on it? Did hey, I go uh, long again? No, no I don't. I don't. Hour forty-seven. Oh, that's 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 average. That's fine. That's yeah. actually kind of long for nineteen forty-four. Nineteen forty-four, because most movies. I wonder. Uh, here it says people who liked Double Indemnity also liked uh, Rear Window, Vertigo. Ooh, uh, I I love Vertigo. I North really like by it. Northwest. There's a bunch of Hitchcock stuff on here, so I wonder uh, so if that's. Maybe be suspenseful. Yeah. Because I really yeah, enjoyed a, Vertigo. You see, have you seen you've seen Vertigo before, right, Steve? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think we watched it recently because they, they put out like a 4K still book for it. And I was like, I want to see this. All right. You got anything else? Uh, I think we're uh I think we're good. You got anything else, Steve? Nope. Do your do your thing, Drew. We'll wrap this bad boy up then. I will uh like always, we want to thank Greg Bennett for our awesome theme song he wrote for our podcast here. Uh, always want to thank Devious Pixel for the art we have. He does the art for this podcast. He did the art, uh, multiple arts and stuff like that for me and Blake's other podcast. If you want to keep track of this podcast and what movies we're watching, the movies we're watching and stuff like that, or, or the release times of when I get the episodes coming out, you could follow this podcast on facebook and twitter uh, you just search the name of the podcast we pop up on both both of those uh easily enough you just give us a follow on there and i i do both of those i don't blake and steve don't do the facebook and twitter so that's mostly me just running those just keeping people informed of recording I'll, I'll post about recording or i'll post about when something's coming out if you have any uh movie suggestions or any thoughts or questions about uh even an old even one of the old episodes or a question about like when I post about the next movie, any questions or thoughts or seeing it or anything like that, you can also write to the Facebook, Twitter, or the email address. That's just action dot the movie co- podcast at Gmail. And we'll read stuff like that probably around this time on the podcast. If anybody writes in or has any thoughts or movie suggestions, 
and we'll be willing what movie suggested would probably be along the lines i would probably take the movie to blake and steve and at least one of them would have to be interested if it's something that neither one of them has any interest in watching we probably have to probably pass on it but chances are if it's something an interesting movie they might give it a shot on the podcast and lastly uh cross promotion because we got we got to do that me and blake do have another podcast uh lock stock and two smoky controllers uh, that one is mostly uh, video game oriented, but I do uh, share uh, bands on there that I like a bunch. And Blake does share uh, movies and TV shows that he fancies. Uh, that's kind of where the this idea for this podcast came is Blake spends most of that podcast trying not to spoil a movie and get you to watch it at the same time. It's a bit of a struggle. Uh, he's yet to uh, use any movies from the other podcast on this on this podcast, though, which I thought he would just be reiterate the same movies maybe just to talk about them in length i thought about a few of them maybe some slightly different ones but there's a actually most of them are good well yeah you always pick good good candidates Mm -hmm. and the very uh very last thing and not the least of course is uh blake is a little bit of a writer and he has published a short story on amazon you can find it uh, by searching they come this night it'll pop up right away on there you can get that little bad boy for a dollar uh, or for free if it's if you got the what's it called Kindle Unlimited Kindle Unlimited it's on there so we've all all our people we know friends and family have all bought it all this stuff that I've mentioned here uh, links to Greg or Devious in the Facebook Twitter email other stuff all these links and anything else you need to know about the podcast will all be in the show notes at the bottom of your little download here if you're looking at the podcast I think that's all I got I want to thank everybody for listening. This is, we're having a pretty pretty good time making these making these podcasts. At least I'm, I'm having a good time making these podcasts. Yeah, it's a blast. Yeah, it's fun. To... You you do all the hard work, Blake, and I get to do the fun part. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I get I get to take part <laughs> in this too and listen and chime in a little bit. It's all good. And I, I watch the now I watch the movies one time with Blake, and uh, he does all the he does all the extra work of watching it more than once and digging around for information. So a lot of times when Blake's feeding information to you on the, wait, wait, what's, well, y'all do the same stuff usually because y'all did the same research, but I'm learning stuff too about the movie as Blake's talk, talking to y'all, talking to you on the podcast. I hope people like that kind of stuff. It's fun. People, people, I know people don't watch special features or people don't really dig into movies. And I think that's one of the more fun things of this. Like those people having sex in the background, that is hilarious. Oh yeah. They would legitimately I would've, do. I would have never mm-hmm. known that. And that's, 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 that's just craziness that you would ever think of but anyway that's all i got and we need to wrap this some bitch up (laughs) all right so that's all i got for the guys and i'll I'll let the these two guys wrap it up and we'll catch you on the next episode all right i'll sign off as always by saying uh, everybody out there just make sure you see enough movies because all of life's riddles are answered in the movies and uh i want to wish everybody a good evening and good night. Force-fed more than we eat in the wild. Grazed on a mash that could suffocate a child. Bloated, promoted in an ode to pomp and style. Moisten in the feed while we choke upon the bile. Corner in the market on the geese without the bones. Hushing out the public in a strike without a drone. The cage became collapsible, our sticks equipped with stones. Get the motherfucker on the phone, the phone. Get the motherfucker on the phone, the phone. Get the motherfucker on the phone, the 
the stratagem of strain A smallpox-laden blanket, invisible with stains Inoculating bastards, bloody pecking pain Distemper has a hold, distemper has a hold We took the second sip from a cup we made of bones The first sip was a ruse, a trick so aptly thrown The truth is that our youth was a carpet laid in stones Get the motherfucker on the phone, the phone Get the 